0: Welcome to episode 6 of The Timeline. My name is Robin Smith and I am with...
1: Limber Bond.
0: As always, we are here to talk about... (laughs) The next film in a series of films and TV and whatnot. In a canon and this week, this episode is looking at X-Men First Class. The First Class. I don't know why I want to throw a lead... Or X the. first
1: class <laughs> <Yeah>. somewhere.
0: <laughs> um So how you been, Lambert? It's been what a couple of weeks? Uh,
1: three weeks, I think. Maybe. Three
0: weeks. We've actually managed to turn it around really quickly.
1: Been <laughs> 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 pretty good. Now I'm I'm double jab, so I'm got my connection to
0: to 5G fully powered up. <laughs> <laughs> no more infections for us. Um uh, much going on? Not really. Uh, Hopefully, it might, might start moving, it might
1: go back to work soon, though.
0: <laughs> How, what have they been, told you about that, oh, unless you can't tell, tell us anything?
1: Me personally, nothing, but they did make an announcement. They saying people have been double vaccinated, can travel to ambulance in our countries and not have the self isolate when they come back. So,
0: mm. <laughs> and have they still been kind of covering you for?
1: Yes, furlough. Fucking
0: so. hell, that's like what, almost a whole year's worth of furlough? A year and a half, I think. Yeah. But well, I mean, obviously it winds you, out you had a couple of patches, right? Where yeah,
1: to I did to go, go, go back. But obviously, further ones out in two months' time, so... Unless the airlines are flying again, then it's kind of...
0: Oh, I assume that everything's going to go back to normal about a month's time for the business side of things.
1: The only issue we might have is other countries blocking us from going to... in. Yeah. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, But you, You're fortunate and unfortunate to have yeah. the specific work you do. Um. <laughs> Not wow. much on my end. <laughs> yeah, just go back to retail for, for the short term, hopefully.
1: Become a night... Become a daywalker. <laughs> the
0: day daywalker. The daywalker. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's something that's pretty good for me on my end. Mm. Anything else going on?
1: Not really. <laughs> really <Yeah>. no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you want it... Oh, no. No, don't destroy that one copy of that film. Take it away. It's man. so she, precious. Take it Stay down, my back. Um... Uh, you down for going to see Black Widow?
1: I mean, I'll sit here, but I'm not like, and to see it, yeah. I,
0: I'm I'm going to look at means of oh. watching that, but I am curious about going to see it at the cinema oh. for the experience of going back to the cinema. Um, and because of the delay, and nobody, even after like three four trailers, people mm. don't seem to know quite what that film's going to be as well.
1: I think for me, my first cinema, well, the film I'll work is Suicide Squad.
0: That second trailer they released, or first full trailer, kind of sold it.
1: Well, it's James Gunn, is it? So obviously. James, James Gunn is really <laughs> because, so
0: like, But also the performances. Yeah. So John Cena is.
1: It's a shame that they couldn't keep James Gunn permanently in the DC Universe, managing the whole thing. No,
0: you don't want one voice managing it, though. That's the thing. Even with Marvel, it's like, yes, you've got one exec producer yeah. kind of managing stuff but you've got a range of different yeah. directors and writers and there's an overall scale yeah. plan from the whole group and marvel's used to doing big events yeah. in their comics right so that's why i transferred over yeah. relatively easily to do that in film and while dc has a history of big events as well but not quite as regular
1: But i just feel um, like marvel is this movie versus like it seems a lot more, it's got a lot more, they've got a lot more folk like planned out than yeah. DC have. DC's just sort of scatter like. They're
0: just making whatever <laughs> they think of <laughs> at this point. Like everything went a bit pie shaped with the, the Justice League sort of yeah. umbrella of films. Yeah. And so they were just like, to hell with it, you know, make, you, you go and make that Joker film and you make that other, you know, that yeah. Birds of Prey film and they're kind of, sort of related but not really. Yeah. And, you know do whatever you want so they go in there <laughs> and and Shazam doing so well it's funny like you look at how it's perceived as a sort of brand and the the, the Zack Snyder stuff is really passionately loved by his fans but at the same time like um it's considered not good yeah. or not as quality and you kind of, even if you liked it previously, you go in and watch it later, you kind of understand why. Um, but when it comes to the other stuff, Birds of Prey, Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman, um, Shazam, uh, what else? Joker. Yeah. And they're all pretty well praised films, but you don't really associate them. With being part of yeah. a successful yeah. brand, it's very yeah. so strange. <laughs> um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with like the the fallout of those successes. Yeah. Um, but we we're not here to talk, <laughs> talk about DC Comics movies or, you know, like I say, I'm just considering or maybe I'll go mm. to the cinema and see that because it's out it's out in the cinemas t- yesterday in the UK. Be on Disney Plus, they say tomorrow, but I don't know how accurate that is. So there's options as well. There are other options, options. I'm sure. Um, but I, I like the idea of going somewhere mm. and seeing a film that way because it's been two years. I so. guess it's
1: probably if you're going to go, anywhere, it's probably best to go now. Why? It'll be relatively pretty empty. The football's on,
0: <laughs> the so it'll football's be, nobody's going to see films, and it's going to be quiet because it's the start of people going back to yeah. seeing films. You're not going to have somebody's
1: uh, right next amazing. year because I remember going last year when it when it was first open to watch. Was it tenant? And it was like, empty. I was like, "Yeah, this is lovely." Like, because <laughs> my fear, like, I'm going to sit there, like, and have loads of people surrounding me, like, oh, I've got to wear a mask, all like, all the film. I can't eat my popcorn. I'm like paranoid. Like,
0: <laughs> um, do you think the experience kind of helped it in your case? I like your yeah. I'm I mean, sure you like. You probably enjoyed the film anyway. But...
1: I sometimes feel Nolan's a bit like. If we give him too much freedom, though, he goes a bit.
0: Yeah, I can. I can see how that might happen.
1: yeah, I mean, it's still a good film. But he you likes get... inventive yeah. ideas,
0: but he's not as wild as he presents yeah. when it comes to this stuff. Um. But anyway, let's let's get on to it. Let's go. <laughs> uh, we haven't we haven't had any emails, but if anybody wants to give us an email, I know there are some people listening out there somewhere. All one, two, three of you. Uh, feel free to send us an email at timelinepod at gmail dot com with any thoughts about the last episode or this episode, or if you uh, at the end of the show we're going to announce the next film. Mm. I'm sure you all figured out what it is already. Um, you have any thoughts?
1: I'll leave a question in the comment section.
0: Yes, leave a question in the comment <laughs> section. If you're listening to this on the podcast feed well. site, you can actually leave voice recording uh, voicemails and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. So there's lots of options to talk to us. And if you leave an email or message we'll read it out or we'll play it on the show if it's appropriate. Appropriately safe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't want any sort of propaganda or something. Um but let's get to the film we're looking at, which is X Men First Class. So uh when was the last time you watched it? You said maybe
1: once before? I've seen it twice before. Well. I saw it in the cinema once. Then I watched it like on DVD or something mm. back in the day. But at the time I hated I didn't I didn't hate it, but I was like they changed all the X-Men around. It's none of the old people. I like the old characters a bit, like the old actors like. Hmm. So when I originally watched I was in that mindset of like,
0: Bleh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is not my child Xavier. this is not
0: Magneto I want Patrick Stewart <laughs> yeah, it. that's pretty much what I was like <laughs> he's got too much hair uh, how do you feel after watching just generally after watching the DVD this time I assume you DVD uh, did it, or did you Disney Plus it or something
1: it's not on Disney Plus oh yes yeah. it's in another streaming service somewhere so that's where it's become conflicted so oh. so yeah DVD mm-hmm
0: uh and, and how did you feel this time around? A lot more positive. <laughs> <laughs> you did seem positive about it going in. Yeah. Um uh, I'd never seen it before so this oh. is like I've seen it like 3 4 times now. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just that for
1: Halloween? that's like, for sure. Like, like
0: you watch the first the first way I do it is I'll watch it once through if I've especially if I've not seen it before just to give it a fair shake without yeah breaking it apart. And then I'll watch it at, like, fourth speed with subtitles on so I can see the details oh. and get the subtitles and get names and stuff. And then I'll watch it scene by scene, bit by bit, you know. Uh, and last night I sat down and watched the extras, and there is an interesting extra feature on Blu-ray. Is there? Yes. <laughs> so there's this... Um, it's not good. Yeah. It's, it's just a random box <laughs> Blu-ray feature. But it's like dive into Cerebro, and it's just bits of all the other films, characters from all the other films, and the actors playing them, you know. And it's floating around like it's that scene from Last, uh, f- from First Class, where he's using Cerebro for it. the first time, and you're seeing the different mutants. But it's the characters from all the films, and like the first one is Jean Grey, mm. Phoenix, and it kind of zooms in on her, and you can push the enter button, select button on your remote, and it will go in and show you a little trailer about the character and all the different bits about her. And then it will pause and show you an info dump screen (laughs) with a few pictures and, you know, name, blood type, that sort of stuff. And one of the characters that came up was Sabretooth or um, Victor from from (laughs) Origins Wolverine. And in selecting it, I was like, oh, I wonder if they'll clear anything up with regards to that and they selected it and it just went through all these shots of him from from Wolverine and then just before the end they showed the other Sabretooth oh so in the, the canon of the DVD extras <laughs> he is considered the same character we can confirm now so Sabretooth is Victor oh. I mean he is in the comics anyway we know this but
1: obviously in the film verse it was a bit yeah. more grey grey area
0: I mean by the end of this film there's two angels in the universe. <laughs> Thankfully I looked it up and the angel in this film is another angel yeah. that's in the comics as well. So, you know, except their power set they spit acid they don't spit fireballs. No. But we'll get to that. Um but do you know anything else going in? Did you find anything new out or or see something you didn't spot before about the film? Or?
1: Apart from my apart from my un what is it? Kevin Bacon. What? I've been polluted with Kevin Bacon. Cinema has like destroyed my Kevin Bacon. Like,
0: oh, because of the adverts. Yeah, an advert,
1: so I can't stand him
0: now. Like, I see him, it's, just like that's <laughs> a shame because he's his performance is not half bad in this.
1: I don't, Yeah, he's not. He's not. I don't think he's a bad actor. But obviously, in the UK, if you, if you went to cinema, yeah, he's would, everywhere in, in adverts. It, and it was stuff always and an EE advert. Every, and I used to go to cinema once a week, so before the film was like, you'd just see him like. Giving this pule about EE, <laughs> a phone network.
0: Yeah, that was sometime after this, wasn't it? So, yeah. his, his jobs have started to trickle <laughs> out. He's still prolific, but we'll talk about Kevin Bacon in a moment. Um, well, it's at least just relatively high on the film still. Mm. So, uh, let's get into the pre production and history. So, this is X Men First Class, um, originally during the production of X2 of all films. Producer Lauren Shuler Donner, or the the female executive producer who runs a lot of the here and loads of the yeah. X Um, had discussed the idea of a film, just as a sort of a jokey joke, uh, film looking at the X Men as kids, so young Wolverine, oh. and young Cyclops <laughs> and stuff. Even though she didn't pay attention to the films because they didn't know Wolverine, did they? So, oh well. Um, like the joke was, you know, kid X-Men sort of thing. Uh, One of the last stands writer, Zach Penn, was hired to write and direct a spin-off based on this sort of idea. But the idea later fell through. Penn explained in 2007 that the original idea was to have me do a young X-Men spin-off, a spin-off of the young X-Men characters. But someone came up with a pretty interesting idea. It was this guy who worked with me, named Mike Chamoy. He worked a lot with me on X3. He came up with me, with how to do a young X-Men movie, which is not what you'd expect. Around the same time, in December 2004, 20th Century Fox hired screenwriter Sheldon Turner to draft a spin-off X-Men film. He chose to write Magneto, pitching it as The Pianist meets X-Men. Um, according to Turner, the script he penned was set from 1939 to 1955, following Magneto trying to survive in Auschwitz. He meets Xavier, a young soldier, during the liberation of the camp. He hunts down the Nazi war criminals who tortured him, and his lust for vengeance turns him and Xavier into enemies. In April 2007, David Escoria. Of old man, yeah. <laughs> he, he's essentially this is the David Escoria show at this point because <laughs> Blade as well, isn't he? Um, was hired to direct. The film would take place mostly in flashbacks with actors in their twenties, with Ian McKellen's older M- M- Magneto as a framing device, so he'd be the narrator, oh. uh, as some usage of the computer-generated facelift applied to him in the prologue of X Men: Last Stand. Thank God they didn't do that. (laughs) McKellen reiterated his hope to open and close the film. The Magneto film was planned to shoot in Australia for a 2009 release, but factors including 2007 and 2008 writers' Guild of America strike, which obviously affected television and stuff at the time, famously, uh, caused the producers to cancel plans for the movie. So we got that close... To what had been rumored for a while, I remember as like there was X Men Origins Wolverine, and around the same time X Men Origins Magnetism okay. was what it was being panned around us. In 2008, Josh Schwartz was hired to write the screenplay while declining the possibility of directing X Men First Class. Fox later approached Brian Singer, <laughs> director of X Men and X Two, in October 2009. He's all over the extras for this Blu Ray. And I was just like, how uncomfortable. Um, Schwartz later said that Singer dismissed his work as he wanted to make a very different kind of movie, um, with the director instead writing his own treatment, which was then developed into a new script by Jamie Moss. The producers listed various possible directors, but at first did not consider Matthew Vaughan because he started working on The Last Stand before backing out. So he was go no. there for directing The Last Stand. He did some script work, and then he backed out before it was fully into production. After seeing Vaughn's satirical superhero film, Kick-Ass, in 2010, oh. um, uh, Kenberg decided to contact Vaughn to see if he would be interested in First Class. When Fox offered Vaughn the chance to reboot X-Men and put your stamp all over it, he first thought the studio was joking, but accepted that discovering that it was set in the 1960s, um, the director started the first class, Stated sorry, the director <laughs> stated that first class would become the opportunity to combine many of his dream projects. I got my cake and ate it. He's British you he to <laughs> do my voice. Managed to do an X Men movie and a Bond thing and a Frankenheimer political thriller at the same time. It doesn't really feel
1: like I know how actually. Yeah, it's got elements. You can see the bond in <laughs> yeah. there, you can
0: it's like it kind of changes as it goes, but you can yeah. see where and you can see where that original idea of Magneto is a yeah. Nazi hunter, and so they've taken bits from all oh. these places. Describing his thought process toward the material, Vaughn said he was motivated by unfinished business with Marvel, having been previously involved with the production of both X-Men Last Stand and Thor. Oh. Uh, Vaughn declared that he was more enthusiastic about First Class than Last Stand due to not being constrained by the previous instalments and having the opportunity to start fresh, while nodding towards successful elements from those films. Vaughn compared First Class to both Batman Begins, uh, which restarted the franchise of an unseen approach, and the 2009 Star Trek film, which he paid homage to the original source material while taking it in a new direction with a fresh young cast. Doesn't feel like that long ago for even that Star Trek film. Crazy. Oh, I feel no. <laughs> uh, regarding continuity, uh, Vaughn said his intention was to make a good, f- a good film that could stand on its own two feet, regardless of all the other films, it, uh, and also that it could reboot and start a whole new X Men franchise. Goldman added the film was kind of an alternative history for the X Men, saying that whilst rebooting, the writers did not go fully against the canon of X-Men trilogy, comparing it to various approaches the comic had in over 50 years of publication. The film also rescues a central conceit in the comics, uh, the fact that radiation is one of the causes of genetic mutation in the X-Men fictional universe, and incorporates it in the storyline, resurrecting the concept, which went unused in the last few years as writers in the comics were recently uh, have attributed the phenomenon of mutation mostly to evolutional and natural selection. Um, for references for the film, there's no real direct references for this film. There was an X-Men first-class comic book series, but there's no storyline oh. based on It's just the name, in, name alone. Um, uh, so uh, we'll get to the uh, actual story production. Um, notable characters that are are mostly new because most of the characters we know already they're just kind of younger versions Uh, so the most notable I think pretty much is Alex Summers of all people he's not the key character in the film but Alex Summers was the son of Major Christopher Summers test pilot for the US Air Force and his wife Catherine Ann Summers he had two brothers Older brother Scott Summers, older brother, and younger brother Gabriel Summers. All three were mutants. Um, So, Cyclops is his older brother. (laughs) But they've decided to turn that around and make him the older one for whatever reason.
1: I guess from a film sense it probably makes it it was just I it, think that, it makes it more it's easier to like your head around, yeah, around and wave it away. Yeah.
0: Um when they're talking about it on the D V D extras, it's like, oh we didn't you know, we just wanted a new set of powers for this first film. Mm. Um, and that's why we picked these characters specifically yeah. When Scott and Alex were boys flying home from a family vacation in their father's vintage private plane A scout ship from the alien Shahar Empire suddenly materialised. We haven't seen them in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yet. Uh, They suddenly materialised and set the plane ablaze. Uh, Catherine pushed Scott and Alex out of the plane door with the only available parachute. Uh, The parachute caught fire, so Scott used his mutant abilities for the first time to slow their descent. Uh, Scott suffered a head injury on landing and damaged his part of the brain. That would have enabled him to be able to control his optical blast. Oh, that's why. Which is why he has, needs a glass. I don't knew that, actually. Need, actually. Um, two boys were hospitalised and suffered traumatic amnesia regarding the incident. They left the hospital after two weeks, were placed in a state home for foundlings, an orphan, <laughs> orphanage in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and were subjected to a battery of tests and experiments by the orphanage's owner, Mr. Milbury, an alias for the evil genetic and their future enemy, Mr. Sinister. Uh. Sinister believed that Scott was the Summer's brother with the most potential, so he had Alex adopted to separate them and render Scott emotionally vulnerable.
1: That's a Sinister thing to do.
0: Sinister, <laughs> sinister has been mentioned once in the entire series of films.
1: It's a weirdo. They're, they're actually walking like...
0: Um he may end up being mentioned one more time, uh, but he never really made an appearance, as far as I'm aware. And considering he's like on the left, that you've got Magneto, just because everybody yeah. knows who he is. You've got Apocalypse yeah. because he's like top level dangerous, yeah. and then like one step below Apocalypse is Mister Sinister, yeah. and like he's not a mutant, so it's hard to describe what he is. But he's also kind of an underling from yeah. Apocalypse on occasion. And, is interesting character, really interesting character, a much richer sort of a character than some of the others that they could use. And it's interesting that they had they never really got round to it. And maybe it was just too challenging for people to write something that made sense for him. When they bring the mutants in, I'm sure they'll come up with something.
1: I mean for a TV show.
0: Mm. That's what I think. I, mean, I yeah. think
1: that I would do best for X-Men TV show. There's so much they could just yeah. dive into, like. But we'll
0: see. I mean, you've, you've seen that, that Fox tried a few TV yeah. shows or with other studios over the years, you know, based in the sort of mutant yeah. universe. Um, and maybe we now won't we'd... look at those shows, yeah. I don't think. I have watched the show, so... Um, <laughs> I mean, we watched got one pilot, this yeah. series, and that's enough <laughs> for us. Um, talking of that pilot. Uh, the other key characters really is the hellfire club we will look at one specific member of the hellfire club but the hellfire club form the order of the friars of saint francis uh francis of wake began in the 18th century england as a social club for the british social elite and wealthy as a way to provide provide its members with pleasures that often denied the moral standards of the time and allowed members to consolidate their influence over economic and political manners. Because that's sort of a Illuminati-esque evil sort of group in England back in the 18th century. Um, the club's purpose is to obtain and exert power through politics and economic influence instead of outward conquest and domination. Since its foundation, they have been involved in wars and assassinations. The organisation is run by the Inner Circle. This is a secret group assumed the titles of Press Peaches. Peaches? Peaches? Peaches. Press Peaches, yeah. Uh, With leaders being the respective Black King, White King, Black King, Queen, White Queen, followed by Black Bishop, White Bishop, Black Knight, White Knight, so on and so forth. Uh, Membership is hereditary, meaning any of the world's elite, are members by birth, but many do not accept the formal membership or just attend their lavish parties. No. Um so the the Sebastian Shaw is like one of the kings mm-hmm. of this group, black king eventually. But um the obviously the, the group is very different in this presentation. Um Sebastian Shaw, by the way. His powers first manifested shortly after he was accepted into engineering school and his father died. He was beaten by some rednecks in a bar. Shaw devoted himself to his studies and created Shaw Industries, becoming a billionaire by the age of forty. So he's already a A smart rich person. Yeah. I mean again, it's like this organization of wealthy, powerful people. Um the other characters in the film, like I mentioned before, we generally already know. Banshee and White Queen mm-hmm. appeared in that terrible uh, TV movie. Mm-hmm. There's essentially the same characters. She's older in this. And they're, they're back 20 years yeah. from that. But 20, 30 years. <clears throat> that must have been early 90s, right? If I remember right. Now. Yes. So, I mean, you could maybe consider them the same characters. Maybe she ages slower. We can tweak the calendar yeah. to fit it in. No,
1: nah, that 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 other one doesn't exist. That's why.
0: <laughs> it 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 does on our timeline. Counts, time, yeah. counts as part of the yeah. universe. I'm sorry, that's the rules of the show.
1: <laughs> time travel. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah sure. Um, I mean, you you know, here in this film, that a couple of the characters are aging slower yeah. than everybody else. So you never know. Um, for the cast and crew, brand new members of the cast and crew. First up, we have James McAvoy, born 21st of April 1979. He's a Scottish actor. He made his acting debut as a teen in the near room in 1995. He made mostly television appearances until 2003. His notable work includes a thriller, State of Play, which is a fantastic thriller. Uh, got a remake into a film about a decade ago, yeah. I think now. Um, and that film's apparently fantastic too. I've not had the chance to watch it. And the science fiction miniseries Frank Herbert's Children of Dune. I've he, seen was, that. That's he was, good. He was performed in several West End productions, has received four nominations for the Laurence Olivier Award for Best Actor. He has also done voice work for animated films, including Nomeo and Juliet and its sequel Sherlock Gnomes oh. and Arthur Christmas. <laughs> He's made choices. You know, animation. Don't count. Yeah. 2003, McAvoy appeared in the lead role in Bollywood Queen, then in another lead role as Rory as in Inside I'm Dancing in 2004. This was followed by a supporting role uh, as the fawn, Mr. Tumnus, in Chronicles of Nadia, Lion, Witch the Wardrobe. Oh. Um, his performance in Kevin MacDonald's drama, The Last King of Scotland. In 2006 garnered him several award nominations, including the BAFTA Award for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, The critically acclaimed romantic drama war film Atonement in 2007 earned him a Golden Globe Award nomination and his second BAFTA nomination. And He later appeared in the newly trained assassin in the action thriller Wanted with Angelina Jolie in 2008. What a
1: weird film that was. Yeah,
0: I've never seen it.
1: Compared to his comic counterpart, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I should see it. I think I probably have a copy of it knocking around somewhere. Uh, next up is Michael Fassbender, born second of April, nineteen seventy-seven. He's an Irish German actor and racing driver, which is why he's called Fassbender. Oh. Um, that's that's a joke, everyone. Thank that's you. A, <laughs> Yay. Thanks. His uh, feature film debut was in the Fantasy War Epic 300 in 2007 Mm -hmm. as a Spartan warrior. He was also in Fable 3 as the Evil King. Oh. Yeah. Um, His earlier roles included various stage productions as well as starring roles in television, such as the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers in 2001 and the Sky One fantasy drama Hex in 2004 to 2005. What's Hex. He first came to prominence for his role as IRA volunteer Bobby Sands in Hunger in 2008, for which he won a British Independent Film Award. Subsequent roles include the independent film Fish Tank in 2009 and uh, as Royal Miniseries uh, Royal Marines Lieutenant in Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Uh, as Edward Rochester in the 2011 film adaptation of Jane Eyre and as Carl Jung in Dangerous Method in 2011. He's already pretty prolific. Uh, Next up, Jennifer Schrader-Lawrence, or Jennifer Lawrence, as people know her, born August 15th, 1990, is an American actress. Lawrence was the world's highest paid actress in 2015-2016. Was she? Yes, apparently. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure she deserves it. She's all right, but she's a bit hit (laughs) miss. No offense, Jennifer, if you're listening. Um, She's laughing to the bank. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she is. I'll I'll take it when I withdraw this million. Um, Her film's grossing 6 billion worldwide to date. She appeared in Times 100 Most Influential People in the World list in 2013 and in Forbes. Celebrity 100 list from 2013 to 2016. So, uh, yeah, she's recently been busy. (laughs) During her childhood, Lawrence performed in church plays and school musicals. At the age of 14, she was spotted by a talent scout while vacationing in New York City with her family. She then moved to Los Angeles and began uh, her acting career by playing guest roles on television. Her first major role came as main cast member in the sitcom The Bill Even Show. How have I got that right? 2007 to 2009, right before this. In which she played the title character's oldest daughter. Lawrence made her film debut in a supporting role in the drama Garden Party in 2008. And had her breakthrough playing poverty-stricken teenage girl in the coming-of-age independent mystery drama Winter's Bone in 2010.
1: Have you have seen Winter's Bone?
0: It was pretty big at the time. But yeah. I've never seen it myself.
1: The thing is about my brain somewhere...
0: Um, next up, worth noting, Nicholas Cardock holt Cardock, Sorry, Nick. Um, <laughs> born 7th December 1989, he's an English actor. Um, his body of work includes supporting work on big-budget mainstream productions and starring roles in independent projects in both the American and British film industries. He has been nominated for awards such as the British Academy Film Award, Golden Globe Award, Screen Actors <laughs> Guild Award, Born and raised in Wokingham, Berkshire, Holt was drawn to acting from a young age and appeared in local theatre productions as a child. He made his screen debut at Seven in the 1996 film Intimate Relations and appeared in several television programmes between 1998 and 2001. Holt's breakthrough role came when he played Marcus Brewer in the 2002 comedy-drama film About a Boy for which he was nominated for the Critics' Choice Movie Award for Best Young Performer. He achieved wider recognition and praise for his performance as Tony Stoneham in the E4 comedy teen drama comedy drama series Skins, 2007 to 2008. Uh, his transition to adult roles began in the 2009 film A Single Man, for which he earned a BAFTA Rising Star Award nomination and the fantasy film Clash of the Titans. Mm which I don't remember seeing him in, so he's probably there, you know.
1: Yeah, back or somewhere.
0: Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, I think we should take a moment for this. Kevin Norwood Bacon, or Kevin Bacon. E.E. <laughs> if, yeah, Kevin E. Bacon. <laughs> uh, born 8th of July, 1958, is an American actor. His films include the musical drama film Footloose, I don't know if you've heard of it, uh, yeah. uh, the controversial historical conspiracy legal thriller JFK uh, Legal drama A Few Good Men The historical drama docudrama Apollo 13 And the mystery drama Mystic River uh, Bacon is also known for voicing the title character in Balto And was taking on darker roles such as the sadistic guard in Sleepers tri- And troubled former child abuser in The Woodsman He is uh, further known for hit comedies, National Lampoon's Animal House, Diner, Tremors, and Crazy Stupid Love. Um, His other well-known films are Friday the 13th, his first appearance, um, Flatliners in 1990, With the Wild, Wild Things, Stir of Echoes, Hollow Man, Frost slash Nixon, should I say. He is equally prolific on television, having starred in HBO original film taking chance Uh, bacon won golden globe award and screenwriter actors guild award also receiving a primetime emmy award nomination more recently bacon portrayed the title character and was the series lead of the amazon prime streaming television series i love dick for which he was nominated for a golden globe award i'm going to give you a moment to think about the name of that show there you go (laughs) Uh, the Guardian named him one of the best actors to have ever received an Academy Award nomination. In 2003, Bacon received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Bacon has been become associated with the concept of interconnectedness, as in social networking services, uh, having been popularised by the game Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You know about that, right? everybody on the planet is six steps away from kevin bacon oh. and apparently it's provable so uh, yeah i'm six steps away from kevin bacon you're six steps so not literal steps who do you know who knows somebody oh. who knows somebody in Ke- oh. <laughs> this country this <laughs> we're not saying kevin bacon is a rat <laughs> well <laughs> um in 2007 he created 6 the Charitable Foundation, mm. based on it. What a nice guy. Um, also joining the film series is Mary Rose Byrne. Born 24th July 1979, is an Australian actress. She made her film uh, screen debut in the film Dallas Doll in 1994. She continued to act in Australian film and television throughout the 90s she obtained her first leading role in The Goddess of 1967, which brought her the Volpe Cup for Best Actress. She made the transition to Hollywood in the small role of Dorm in Star Wars Episode II in Attack of the Clones, followed by larger parts in Troy, 2004, 28 weeks later in 2007, and Knowing in 2009. She was also in Get Him to the Greek and Bridesmaids. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> January Kristen Jones, or January Jones, was born January 5th, ironically, 1978. Uh, she's an American actress and model, and starred in films such as American Wedding, We Are Marshall, and The Boat That Rocked, uh, Unknown and Seeking Justice. Um, and that's what she's been in prior to this that we can talk about, sort of. Because we want to talk about where she goes afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other last person I've noted here is Zoe Kravitz or Zoe Isabella Kravitz, born December first, nineteen eighty-eight. Uh, she is an American actress, singer, and model, and daughter of mu- uh, actor musician Lenny Kravitz, and actress Lisa Bonet. Uh, Kravitz made her acting debut in the romantic comedy film No Reservations in two thousand and seven. Can't say I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen the cover for the DVD a few times. Um I think maybe Ryan Reynolds was in that but he's oh. everywhere.
1: He loves him in always. Like it.
0: Uh the director, Matthew Allard Robert Vaughan, or Matthew Vaughan, born seventh of March nineteen seventy-one, is an English film director, producer and screenwriter. He has produced films including Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. And Snatch, and directed Layer Cake, Stardust, and Kick-Ass.
1: I've seen one of those films.
0: Uh, well, I think his three directing jobs before this were at least of reasonable yeah. quality. So you know he's a he's a clearly a good hand. You know, um, returning actors and crew just to get them out of the way. Hugh Michael Jackson.
1: He says one line. We'll
0: mention him later.
1: Oh, and no, I always got paid for that one line. And
0: <laughs> last yeah. but not least, it's hello and goodbye to Rebecca O'Connell or Rebecca Remain. Uh, she is since the last appearance in the X-Men series. She's played number one on Star Trek Discovery.
1: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: and other major roles include Eve Berland on the TNT series, the Librarians, and voicing Lois Lane. DC animated movie universe from oh. The Death of Superman until Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. I've seen um, both of them. She's also the host of uh, reality competition show Skin Wars.
1: Oh, like that. <laughs> Skin Wars, <what?
0: laughs> Um, But so this is like the last time we see her, so I've just knocked it out mm. now. She hasn't really done anything between the films mm. since we last saw her. That's, you know, super notable. Um, so, are you prepared? Strapped in, ready to go. Ready to go, off, tied down. Yeah. Get yourself comfortable. Ready. This shouldn't be take too long, because, like, there's not a lot to look into here. Although there's one really big thing to look into here. <laughs> Um... So the film was released on July 12th, 2011. But we know when the film is set. gives you dates. (laughs) Mm, Better than that. It's very specific. Uh So we don't have to worry about setting it around the release of the film. My first watch was Blu-ray region two, but I've also watched it on DVD. Um, I used the Blu-ray for extras. If there's any difference between the version you people listening have seen or you've seen... um, there could be minimal feel free to let us know uh via the email um or leave a message or messages on twitter mm. whatever it would be interesting to hear if there's any differences um but this may be why like regional differences are always there so x-men first class the film timeline right ready fox logo bad hat harry logo marvel comics logo uh, worth noting, the Bad Harry logo is the um, lineup scene from Usual Suspects, which was directed by Brian Singer. Oh. So, <laughs> Brian Singer's definitely integrated himself with this, sadly. And he will be tied to all the films, I think, generally, up until Apocalypse, at least. And um, that's when a lot of the stuff came out about yeah, his. Well like it really hit the fan it like it was always kind of known But opening poland 1944 we return to the original opening of magneto story from x-men it looks like it's a shot for shot remake for the most part there's some differences um and not just reused footage uh jews are being led into a camp we can guess which type of camp eric is separated from his parents His powers manifest, he bends the gates in an effort to reach his mother. We've seen this. Established. Only now, Eric is knocked out. We see a man um, as the camera pans up through a window. Glasses, teacup, watching from the window above. Meanwhile, at the same time, Westchester, New York, 1944. Mm. Day for night, because that's how it's been filmed. Uh, A boy is in bed. Framed photos of Einstein... And Darwin, and a woman who I couldn't recognise offhand and I haven't looked into, are on his bedside cabinet for some reason. Like, it's not his mum and dad. It's Darwin and Einstein. Maybe they're his dads. <laughs> My three dads. We never see them, so we never <laughs> Darwin, Einstein, and this random woman. Um, I think she's probably somebody really important. But I just couldn't recognise the picture, so it could, could be anyone. Um, making the boy look like he got one hell of a family tree. Uh, Awakened by a noise. Downstairs. The boy awakes and heads downstairs with a baseball bat. He makes his way into the kitchen and finds the fridge open. It's his mother, who he questions. She offers him a cocoa, but he asks who she really is. He confronts the woman in her mind, sussing out that she's an imposter. The woman slowly transforms into a small, nude, blue girl. Which is something I felt uncomfortable about they've just painted latex mm. onto a naked child oh. but you know movie making he smiles and offers her anything she wants <laughs> I glad to know he's not alone he's Charles Xavier she's Raven hey. he adopts her which I don't think is illegal um, how this plays out with his parents we never find out
1: I'd love to find that out actually, because I like, you just, You've
0: just adopted uh, a small uh, child. She's blue.
1: I guess because he's in a mind. Chicken.
0: Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um we d I didn't check the age of the actors, so I don't know how old that girl is, but again, it feels uncomfortable that she's naked. I mean, it's just a personal preference for me. Yeah. Um
1: Maybe she wearing a blue suit. Maybe maybe it's like a green green suit though, it is.
0: Do you see in production that she's on set like that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, a, so. the, the special effects they, they they that scene obviously she's changing from an adult sized person to a child sized person which I didn't know how that works but there's a little platform she's standing on and it slowly lowers down oh. to sh- she's shrinking in. Um. so yeah anyway back at the camp in an office the man seen previously plays a record of leaving in Rose I didn't research the song but you know it's recognizable mm. because it's his, it's his little tune, he plays it again later. Speaking German, he states he's not like the Nazis despite having an office on their camera yeah. Hey, it's Kevin Bacon. A bar of chocolate, chocolate hard, a bell, a Nazi coin sat on his desk, Nazi party badge on mm. his lapel. He's not like a, he's not a Nazi, but he's got the badge yeah. and everything. He's part of the club. He talks about genes, how Nazis have the wrong views on them and their goals. It's obviously, Nazis famously all about purity of genes. Yeah. And, you know, we all know what Nazis are about. Um, at least, I hope we all know what Nazis are about. Apparently, there are people nowadays who have forgotten, but yeah. we will not get into that now.
1: If not, I recommend watching a documentary of some sort.
0: Any sort of just any sort of documentary, some, some history reports. An old documentary, no,
1: no new documentary stuff. The world of War would be a good one. to <laughs> <Yeah>. look at. <laughs> I'd love stuff. to
0: do love to do a show about the World of War, but like it speaks for itself. So, mm. um, a somewhat dazed Eric watches as he offers chocolate. He says, "It's it's good." But yeah, it's chocolate. Um, but he just wants to see his mother. The man talks some more about Jean's cleaning chocolate off his fingers before asking Eric to move the coin on his desk. Um, After some effort and no movement, the doctor decries the situation and comments on the Nazis' methods being successful for their ends at least. He rings the bell, calling in two soldiers who bring Eric's mother with them. Next to the office, a somewhat ominous shot Reveals an operating room experimentation, a big white room, brightly lit, white, saws mounted on the wall, grates around the table for easy drainage. Uh, the doctor insists Eric move the coin, pointing a gun at his mother and counting to three. After f- failing to move anything, he shoots, killing his mother out of frame. Immediately, Eric is, Eric lets out a prolonged scream, causing destruction and chaos around the room. Crushing the bell, and the soldiers' helmets around their skulls, killing the pit. The whole time, the doctor cannot contain his glee. Mm. Eric know, really doesn't attempt ta- to attack, attack him doctor, really. at all. The whole time, yeah, you did. breaking down because he obviously the doctor, the doctor says, hands Eric situation the coin to yeah. They need him to as we be see the I mean, coin turn either, in the dark to resemble the Xavier school logo. Seeing yeah. the whole in yeah. the doctor's a mutant. Anyway. Yeah, First class. we at least we can assume. Um. But you'd think maybe some bits would have flung, yeah. flung at him. Like he crossed the other two guys' heads and they just walked in with her yeah. and we know they're Nazis and we know what they're all about yeah. but he's just a kid. Yeah. So he's killed them so you'd think he'd try <laughs> instinctively to kill the guy who's literally killed his yeah. mother but uh, narratively, that's why he hasn't done it. But mm. You know, they could have written around it and made it look like yeah. he was angry at him trying to do something. Um. On oh, the whole, though the scene is, I don't, I don't have a problem no. with it, Uh And the rest of the opening,
1: it's quite, it establishes the characters quite,
0: it's quite w- quick, quick yeah. and efficient. It shows
1: lot. you that the power is quite efficiently well. Like oh.
0: yeah, yeah. We, uh, if you've never seen the, the characters yeah. before, he can talk in our head. She can change shape and yeah. look like somebody else.
1: And he can control me- me- metal. Like
0: yeah. So it's like yeah, that's, that's covered all the bases. Um. But it's a snappy little opening. Yeah. It's good to see, I say good, but it's nice to see a continuation of the past for Eric. Yeah. After seeing that stuff at the beginning of X-Men 1 and seeing his entry into Auschwitz yeah. or the camp. It's yeah. never named, is it? No. Um, And then seeing some of the stuff that happened to him. You yeah, know, it's good. Good motivation.
1: I feel like this one builds probably more onto why he's like he is then X Men One did like.
0: I mean, this uh, after discussing the production earlier, this does feel like this is essentially the bulk of the ideas around yeah. X Men Origins Magneto, and then it's just like mm, yeah. we'll kind of mix it in yeah. with all the other stuff, um, and some of it gets lost long term of the film story. But you know, for the most part, it works as yeah, that's what he is. What he is. Um, the same coin. Quickly returns to a new, older Eric's hand, drifting between his fingers as he sits alone in what I think is a hotel room. He stares at a map uh, and an investigation web made of strings and pictures. Uh, the tiles that tiles the Nazis from camp together to last known locations. He's in a hotel in Geneva, Switzerland, nineteen sixty-two. He dramatically flings the coin into the wall, right into the middle of a drawing of the Doctor, which, um, well, you know, this must be the one time he's ever done that. Or he's constantly redrawing that <laughs> the Doctor.
1: He's redrawing it, let's see.
0: Yeah, oh, I, just, I need it's, to remind myself. He goes to, he goes to a printer downstairs. <laughs> was, sure. Sure, we can go with that. He, he uh, we quickly cut to Oxford University, England. No date but we assume it's the same time. An older Charles is chatting up a woman with one green eye and one blue eye. heterochromia, which mm. I, I didn't research, but it's pretty clear what it is. Yeah. A normal-looking raven, normal, quote, uh, watches disapprovingly. He calls it a mutation. He uses the word groovy in an extremely out-of-place way to meant to com- cement the film in the time in which the film <laughs> is set. And it's not the first time you hear people use vernacular. But it's not natural sounding. So it's just a bit old. Groovy, man. It's a really groovy eye (laughs) problem. Uh, The read doesn't work quite well enough for it to feel natural. Raven walks over. He introduces her as his sister. And she has the same eye mutation. (laughs) Which he notices. And uh, she says it's entirely by accident. So he rushes her out. and Pays for their drinks with a whole fiver. Which, back then, was quite a bit of money Mm. for a couple of drinks. Um, The the £5 note has the number 549395 on it. Just in case anybody wants to double-check that for validity. Could it be a forged note? Who knows?
1: I'm sure it is a forged note.
0: He chastises her and uses the risk as an excuse. She argues with him it's about having to hide. Back at home, Raven, blue, brushes her teeth, asking Charles if he'd date her, looking natural. (laughs) Um, He drifts in and out of his Scottish accent a couple of times as he reads his study thesis work and turns into narration as we see Eric, daytime, walking along the street, um, looking snazzy in a suit. He walks into a bank, uh, bank, private... Medsa, So I I assume it's a private bank run by somebody called Medsa, But I I could be getting the words wrong because I could barely read the sign in the background. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Speaking in French to the manager, in a private meeting, he explains that the possession of gold is illegal, as we see up close and personal a block of Nazi-branded gold. Um, After a brief conversation... Eric reveals he is a Jew and tortures the manager by manipulating the metal fillings in his teeth. And he asks for the location of Klaus Schmidt.
1: That scene freaked me out.
0: Did it? You've got a thing about teeth.
1: No, because like... If, I, if, you're, if you're flying and you, you have a rapid decompression, most of, most of the time, most of the fillings fall out of your teeth. They're going to pop out. So imagine that, I imagine that, like, me and this guy, and all my fillings is popping out, like...
0: <laughs> So you you have a very specific thing about your teeth.
1: Just like, oh, that could happen to me one day.
0: Um, He's told he's in Argentina. Eric leaves, tearing the fillings out and taking them with him. (laughs) Meanwhile, in Las Vegas, Nevada, outside the Atomic, a man and a woman are on a stakeout. As he grumbles, she watches. This is Moira from Last Stand. Yeah. Yes, same same yeah. character, Moira McTaggart. You didn't notice her name? No. It's Moira McTaggart. Yeah. <laughs> um and she, like I say, she's in the last stand. At the end of the last stand, when she, when we see the post credit scene and a person who sounds like Charles wakes up. She's the person at the bedside. Oh. Different actress, obviously.
1: That's a of full circle.
0: But she's also much younger. Or, or maybe she's never aged. Well, No, I've gone into this film and the series assuming that Moira McTaggart wasn't a mutant, no. but in the comics I found out some interesting things about Moira McTaggart that that means she might be a mutant. Oh,
1: so she's not confirmed. but she's not.
0: It, it turns out that her mutant ability is. Rebirth, resurrection. She she doesn't have anything obvious. Oh. But when she dies, she gets born again. Oh see. And she's lived several generations of her life. Like she's told at one point she can live ten to maybe eleven times. Oh. And so she's and I think she just ends up going back in time and reliving her life again.
1: Does she remember what but happened? She remembers everything. Oh
0: okay. And so she's done some crazy stuff over the years like totally teamed up with Apocalypse and all sorts tried to to work with Xavier in her second or third life teamed up with Apocalypse in her later lives you know, it's interesting Um, there's a sort of really interesting rabbit hole that that you can go down looking at stuff about her but previously going in, I thought she was just somebody who was pro-human and in this she's presented as human
1: yeah, because it's no, ever illusion that she's that.
0: No. Oh. Um, they are saying, uh, saying for communist sympathisers is what they're looking out mm. for. Maybe. Um, they watch a string of working girls in nothing but underwear arrive, and she decides to strip down to hers and sneak in with them, <laughs> which is a cunning plan. Um, yeah I, I made a note here saying oh if this is moira moira is just human how she aged so well maybe she dies soon and comes back as a different moira who knows i don't know how it works inside the building we meet emma frost sebastian Shaw's associate she's in a sort of bikini top miniskirt and fur cape ensemble is <laughs> <laughs> the most ridiculous of all of her outfits um, and is originally the mutant with diamond skin powers from X-Men Origins Wolverine, although that was retcon during production of that film. So she's also got diamond, mm-hmm. skin, diamond skin powers, um, which is something we'll, we'll talk about later. She invites in Colonel Henry to meet with Shaw under cover of the party. Palisades Park. Uh, Moira's accosted by several men, but heads to follow Henry. Um, Meanwhile, in the meeting with now-Americanized Shaw uh, and Henry takes place, Shaw is attempting to manipulate Henry into maneuvering United States nukes to Turkey. But Bob has concerns about the war. That's Robert Henry. Just in case anybody's confused, it bobs the the Colonel. This is the Cold War. Important note, what's happening right now is part of the Cold War time period. So, by extension, we will talk about what this event is based on in a little while. Um, Moira sneaks into a hidden office and finds, uh, marked by the CCCP Soviet uh, paperwork. Uh, meanwhile, Shaw convinces the Colonel by revealing his Hellfire Club's members' powers. The Mute One mutant, take, makes tornadoes he, he never speaks to you in the film, does he? No, he doesn't,
1: actually. I don't
0: know. Uh, he's the weakest member, just generally as a character, because yeah. you don't know what's motivating him or anything. Uh, the show of powers alerts Moira to the meeting where she witnesses mutants' powers for the first time. Frost reads the Colonel's mind, but doesn't notice Moira. I
1: was thinking that, because they only make a big scene about she'll be te- she can detect that we're going to be here. like.
0: Yeah, but mostly because... Charles is probing with his powers. I guess. I think is what is implied. Uh, Lastly, a red devil man appears out of nowhere and teleports himself and Bob away. Suddenly, the war room. A meeting discusses manoeuvring missiles as Moira attempts to call, uh, warning the ruse. Um, But the the colonel's already there in his dinner suit. Um, Interesting note. I think... If you count every female cast member, uh, at least at one point or another, they're all nude, or in at the very least bra and pants, bikini sort of outfits. All of them. Like, they've even managed to find a way to make McTaggart walk around in just her pants. It's pretty interesting, sort of writing. I guess yeah. And it's like it's it's not. It's you could say it's accidental, but it's interesting that it's happened.
1: everyone is, isn't it? Was foster- yeah, There's yeah. more
0: that we're going to talk about. There's something very jarring that happens later on that we're going to talk about, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, but it's interesting. Maybe that sort of that subconscious thing, Hollywood thing, that women are used in a certain yeah. way, and they will all end up in their pants at some point or another. Um, cut. To what we assume is England. Charles is being awarded his professorship, and heads off for a drink with Raven. Moira following behind. Cut to Villa Gastel, Argentina. Eric, in his summer best, enters a small pub near the mountains. Inside, he orders a beer. Noticing a picture of Dr. Shaw on the wall, he speaks in German and uh, is told that the German beer is Bitburger. What follows is a tense scene of Nazi hunter Eric his most capable and driven. He confronts the men killing the three as they attempt to attack him with a Nazi dagger yeah. and a gun. Um, speaking for a moment in an American accent, then a Ameri- uh, mix of American-English accent as he speaks English. For the most part, he's excellent in this film, but his accent is all over the fucking place. <laughs> it gets really bad at the end uh, when we get up to the beach. Yeah. But we'll, again, we'll upwind that out when we get there. In contrast, we cut to Charles in the pub, downing the contents of a horn. He's approached by Moira. Uh, He attempts to flirt with her, and she shoots him down and asks about mutants, essentially. Uh, On the boat uh, on the coast of Miami, Florida, Bob meets the Hellfire Club. Bob pulling out a grenade. He threatens to pull the pin if they don't let him leave. Shaw just strides up, takes the pin out, and lets it blow up. Contains its power, absorbing it with his many arms.
1: Oh, yeah, it was, it's, it's a bit weird to, I weird guess.
0: to see, but it's an interesting visual yeah. effect, especially later when they do stuff with that. Um, he, he then takes the energy and puts it back into Henry, uh, I assume evaporating him. Jump to the CIA headquarters, Langley, Virginia. Charles is giving a presentation on mutation, but the room's not believing him or his theory. In a moment of desperation as everybody's panicking and he's read one of the soldiers or CIA operatives' mm-hmm. minds um, and he says that he's a William Stryker's dad because this series can't not obsess over the two or three characters that it has, including Stryker of all characters. Um, what, has he been four of the five films? <laughs> <I think. laughs> he wasn't in X Men 1, no. but he's either referenced or appeared. You can't just give some random colonel name. Like, oh, no, yeah, no, it's Skywalker. got to be with Winters- him. It's all got to be connected. Um, uh, instead of looking at the entire sea of historical characters or interesting characters they've created in the comics, would well, they make up some fake name? Like, <laughs> no. um, in a desperate moment, Raven turns into him and calms them all down and a guy at the back of the room who's never named he's just man in black in the
1: I just think it's a bit weird though he's like oh I'll take him to my facility
0: <laughs> well he, I, love, I love that that sounded more like an evil <laughs> supervillain or a, a scientist because like at first I thought it
1: was bad as well I am like mm. I was like oh what's he playing at here because you he almost say like he wasn't because the other two were quite they looked quite shocked when he was like...
0: He's cute. Well, he's, he's looking into that yeah. sort of thing so he already believes in yeah. it. it. Like, he's finally seen it, but yeah. he's not shocked to see it. Distressed with the agency lack of action over shore um, it, uh, and his crew, Moira, is in the middle of a conversation when Charles, having frozen everybody else in the corridor, talks to her to, telepathically, inviting her to meet him in the car park upstairs. Uh, they all meet up with the man in black and the team head off to meet and capture Shaw because they know where he is. Mm. Meanwhile, Eric has found Shore, and after stealthily sneaking onto his boat, he announces his being there out loud. <laughs> um, Frost cripples him easily and tosses him overboard for which, pinning this one, he calmly chastises her as they... Don't harm their own kind. Yeah. Uh, again, pinning that. The Coast Guard arrive with Charles and Raven, but Frost detects them and blocks Charles. So Charles is like, I'm surplus to yeah. requirements, mate. Um, simultaneously, Eric uses the anchor and chain of Shaw's yacht to cause massive amounts of damage, but not being able to prevent Shaw's escape in his mini um, Eric attempts to prevent Shaw from leaving in it, but is instead dragged behind the vehicle while using his powers, almost drowning. That is until Charles dives into the water and convinces him to stop telepathically. Charles introduces himself to Eric. The guys next head to a CIA base, uh, which doesn't have a location, it's covert base. We are introduced to the model for the Blackbird aircraft. And Doctor Hank McCoy, who Charles unintentionally outs as a mutant, mm. Although his mutation on the surface is hands for feet, essentially. Which I find
1: really weird. We'll get later, but it's just a weird like.
0: You couldn't look at it and it was looked strange, or
1: no? It's just the whole Hank out in this film was a bit like handles a bit weirdly. I think I
0: feel like that's fair. Um. It, yes, there were things later. Yeah, like yeah. like in the comics, he's he's got massive hands and massive feet, which makes more hands. sense
1: because obviously when you have got massive feet, that's just normal. Like some people have massive feet in real life. Yeah, like you can hide that easily. You, like,
0: yeah, well he can, he manages to hide his yeah. weird feet now. But, yeah, like yeah, the ultimately he's and, and he's talking about a cure later, and he says it doesn't affect our powers. And like <laughs> what power <laughs> Your powers are massive yeah. feet and massive hands, yeah. apparently. Um. And he's smart, yeah. but that's not mutant power. That's just, he's yeah. smart. Um, Raven like, takes a liking to him any, right away, anyway. And Hank's mutations uh, uh, mentions don't ask, don't tell, should I say. Which is a reference onto the policy on, on gay men entering the military <laughs> in America previously. No. Meanwhile, somehow, on Shaw's sub, Shaw and Frost are watching TV reports on missiles moved to Turkey. How are they getting that reception on their television?
1: Aren't they docked, are they docked on top of the sea at this point though?
0: Yeah, but in the middle of the Antarctic. They've got a satellite aren't Um Emma warns Shaw about Charles, but Shaw shows off his Russian made helmet <laughs> and she can't read him. He flatters her and then instantly does a sexism. Sends her off to get some ice for his drink.
1: I thought that part was so weird. Do he say go fetch me some ice? It's just like
0: yeah, he's an egomaniac and a bad guy. He just doesn't see himself as bad. Yeah, it's fine. It's, I mean, yeah. it's not fine, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> it's just weird. Like... Yeah. Um, Cut to Hank and Raven. On a date, sort of, with the intent to collect her blood. Uh, he's working on a cure. She's super into him for some reason, despite only meeting him earlier today. But Eric ruins it by turning up and saying something about how they both look or I can't mm. remember. Here for some reason, Hank's actor, British, is doing an American accent, mm. even though in the last stand, Frasier is known for acting and speaking with a transatlantic accent, which apes British. <laughs> so he could have just spoken his British mm. accent and then But no, he's doing sort of an American-ish. Uh, it's very confusing. The two mutants talk about how easily others can hide. Even though she's currently passing easily and Hank... Passing is an interesting term to use. (laughs) um, Passing easily and Hank has been very easily hiding until now. Because nobody knew. He just had shoes on. Uh, Unlike the comics, uh, only his feet were big here, but in in the comics he's got big hands, so it's less easy for him to hide in the comics. But even then he could just be a bloke with big hands. A bit weird, but you know. Uh, Soon after, Charles interrupts Eric, attempting to leave and eventually convinces him to stay so they can work together to stop Shaw. In a meeting, the unnamed man, in black, talks about Hank's invention before Eric interrupts and lays down ground rules as to what's going to happen. Charles agrees to them. Um, Next, inside Hank's invention, Cerebro, pin in that one for a second, Charles discovers several mutants and we cook off a tomb-building montage. Before we go on this trip, though, Hank designed Cerebro. Yeah. At this point, in X Men 1 to Last Stand, are canon. So the films in our canon timeline are X Men First Class 1 to th- Last Stand, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. But in those films, Charles states he and Eric designed I Cerebro. Think. Eric proves this by knowing how to rebuild it in two.
1: Wow, maybe maybe they designed a second. (laughs) They (laughs) took Heng's work. We
0: this is still probably can. Nothing's changed in the canon yet, Mm. and we know at the end of this. I know this is pointless, really, but (laughs) it's it's for the conceit of the show, right? We know at the end of this film that Eric has left Charles's company long before Charles turns the underground area the bunker into it. into where Cerebro is in the future films because that's clearly the, mm. the place where it's stored and the danger rooms down there mm. you yeah. know so yeah. so somebody's made a mistake that i hope somebody got fired for that hiccup <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, they
1: don't know about that they they already forgot about that <laughs>
0: During the montage, we see an adult dancer with dragonfly wings. We also see a small girl with blonde hair and dark skin. Yeah, they see it. I assume that's just a quick quiet easter egg for Storm.
1: I find out that. I find.
0: But she's not quite the right age and Storm will reappear in future. Yeah. So we'll see how accurate that could be for timings. Um, we see an adult dancer with dragonfly wings. A young man driving a taxi. Alex Summers in prison for some reason. We never told why. He's just loves he
1: isolation. He loves isolation at one. Uh, uh,
0: a young boy creeping out, uh, a girl in an aquarium, and uh, a rude Logan in a bar. He tells them to fuck themselves.
1: I like. I find it funny, but I found it' so out of place. It felt like they just want to get yeah him in there, like to yeah. say like he he says
0: in one of the bits about it that you know he just did it because he liked the idea yeah. he was the only person who swore in the whole yeah, film. Um, this conflicts with X-Men Origins Wolverine uh, as this is 1962 uh, at this time blind, he should be with Victor and have his lush hair. Oh. Um, I'll have to really look at because I'm going to have to construct a proper timeline yeah. once we finish the series. Um, maybe I'll do a spin-off side yeah. episode where we look at all of the Points on the timeline, mm-hmm. maybe just as a bonus feature. Um, but yes, this conflicts quite a lot with the the X Men Origins film. I know it's only for a joke. It's fine. Uh, what do you think so far? Building the team, everybody getting together, sure, all of the stuff that's happened. I'm really going through this, but a lot's happened.
1: one well, does go quite.
0: It's both fast paced yeah. and it's yeah. a lot like X Men. Yeah. Two, X-Men 1 and 2 where lots, lots of little scenes yeah. are happening and it feels faster but it's also quite long
1: yeah. so far it's like a little like a little spice bin I was like you have know, a little Hank little punk Hank punk yeah. <laughs> um,
0: I like the the attack and the meeting up of yeah. everybody at the yacht yeah, yeah. especially with the the using of the anchor and the chain yeah. to destroy it and it flying around really effective yeah. use again effective use of magnetos yeah. powers but subtle small thing that he's yeah. doing the cause of a lot of chaos. Um I think maybe that's possibly my favourite part of the film at least so far.
1: I probably agree with that. You like Charles block well, like freezing everyone because that shows like he's quite
0: He's doing it at early, and he's yeah. already in red. For
1: it, I think he's quite good at showing both. They're both really powerful mutants in you own right. It's like Magneto's like, but and Charles can just freeze everyone. And like have a conversation with someone.
0: Yeah. It's still quite early on, though. They're only doing small scale, yeah. sort of powerful things, which sounds like a contrast. <laughs> but like, obviously, we see later yeah. that he can't quite do the bigger scale yeah. stuff. He can't control that submarine. Um, and they need each other. Or Magneto needs... Or Eric needs Charles to make him into yeah. Magneto eventually. Um, but it's it's interesting. I can't... At the end of this episode, I don't think I'll have... Aside from maybe that scene still. A and maybe, maybe the scene where he's ta- hunting the two Nazis... Three Nazis in the bar. That's a really good scene. Um, I, I don't think I have a line or best actor specifically, character specifically, possibly still just Magneto, yeah. Faust Bender, but that, like, the line I, I think I'm closest to viewing towards is, you know, they uh, they didn't have names they were taken yeah. from them by pig farmers oh. and by tailors, yeah. um, and that's a, quite a powerful moment, I think. Um, but the thing about this film so far, it feels like lots of, it's a good quality f- overall experience but there's nothing that truly stand out that's a one-off sort of moment it's just kind of overall it's a good quality you know yeah Um. any other thoughts I don't want to be the only voice (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: uh, my favourite scene is later on so we'll get to that we'll get to that
0: (laughs) Um, so far though any thoughts on all the stuff that's
1: happened so far it's been just going at a good cadence Getting to know all these characters. Well, I guess it's quite good as well because if X-Men before, yeah, I don't think you know what sex move for, the other thing you don't need. Apart from Wolverine, you're like, who's that guy? and Why did he tell you that? It? Yeah, it's but, just one character. Yeah. That turns him down. But I mean, yeah. if you know it is your first experience with X Men, it's not. It's not. You don't have to. You don't really you know the back knowledge of because he's doing quite a good job of like introducing everyone to all mm. all the characters again.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's some unfortunate things like. You're going in as a different new observer. Yeah,
1: because we know all these characters like for the last films, so we have this feeling in our head of like, oh, they're like this and like this, but obviously this film sort of keeps most the same, but obviously changes them slightly. Right.
0: Yeah. Like, um. Yeah, it's interesting. But meanwhile, in Shaw's sub, Frost is worried. She can feel Charles even in the Arctic. I think it's the Arctic. Yeah, Um, it's cold there it's either the Arctic or the Antarctic Uh, she warns Shaw as she shows her he shows her the radioactive power source for the sub Um, and he mentions children of the atom references that radiation births them um, which is the name of that uh, Sega Saturn PlayStation fighting game back in the day damn good fighting game um which we'll see come back later. But it does bring to question what his power set is. Like he absorbs energy that's, that that strikes him, it seems. But I'm not quite sure if that's just it.
1: I assume that he, he absorbs any energy that he...
0: Because
1: mm. when he puts his hand on
0: those... Like... Well, we're going to get to that. Yeah. We don't want to talk about what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we'll see far more examples of that soon. Um. He sends her to Russia, and he says he'll deal with them, i.e., the the fact that she mm-hmm. can feel Charles and the little group that he's putting together. Charles and Eric chat about the situation. With his wavering accent, Eric mentions tracking. Uh, tracking is how it starts. Are you tracking mutants and yeah. stuff? At the base, the other mutants go through their abilities and start choosing code names for themselves. They drink and party as they destroy the facility one statue at a time. Mystique, we know. Darwin is sticking with Darwin. He can adapt to survive to anything. He's literally unkillable. Wow. Banshee, because of his voice. Uh, The girl from the club is Angel. She also breathes fireballs. She is Angel in the comics. Um, Hank stays quiet. And lastly, Alex shows off his ability to wiggle and shoot flaming hula hoops. He's not dubbed a name straight away.
1: We can't control his powers either.
0: No. After a brief meeting with the higher-ups, the team is caught drinking and dancing, just as Charles and Eric are about to head out to a mission in Russia. Uh, Mystique names Charles Professor X and Eric, Ma- Eric Magneto, but Charles chastises them deservedly. Like trashing the face and getting drunk and dancing around. Uh, and like Alex is just smashing Darwin across the mm-hmm. back with a chair. <laughs> um, in Russia, Charles, Eric, and Moira, along with a team of men to capture Shaw, travel in, in the back of the truck. Um, but they find that only Frost is at this big, opulent mm-hmm. house. Uh, eric takes things into his own hands storms the russian mansion taking out all the russian soldiers and knocking out a russian soviet uh, official as he's making it out with an astral projection of frost why she had to take off her clothes to do this i don't know but it's in his head anyway yeah. <laughs> that scene i was like what um eric and charles subdue frost Eric using the general's bed frame to tie up her hands and wrap the bed frame Mm. metal around her neck and choke her while she's in diamond form, her neck cracking and causing her to shift to her stand, human skin form. Um, How not being diamond makes her now vulnerable to Charles, I don't know, because she wasn't diamond before. And how a cheap metal bed molding is cracking yeah. diamond, the toughest, famously, substance on the planet. I don't know.
1: Maybe he reinforced the diamond with his magnetic power. <laughs> he said, Yeah, I'm going to make this diamond, I'm going to make this metal stronger. Like, And how does she heal from that after, anyway? I'm not sure I, I, I don't think she yeah, healing no, it power it doesn't
0: or... really harm her skin it's like I mean you crack your skin it doesn't kill you does it? I guess not no. but it looks visually interesting yeah. to crack the skin layer I don't know Um, but it shouldn't be doing anything because it does
1: say if she goes back like, in diamond form you can just the, tap her yeah
0: the metal going around her throat it should just stop yeah. and she should be able to breathe it shouldn't be able to crush her at hmm. all because it's diamond other than that she's maybe not diamond hmm. Maybe it's like some sort of really cheap crystal. Maybe she's fake, fake gems. She ain't she ain't diamond. Mm. Maybe she's just man-made diamonds. Anyway, Shaw wants to nuke Earth to make more mutants uh, and kill humans. Uh, he's mad as the pure impact of the bombs would kill the mutants everywhere, radiation or not. It's still a big explosion. Yeah. There's fire involved and and force, but. All right, I mean, Darwin could survive it. Um, and Shaw probably is more likely that Shaw's probably looking to get all the energy from the bombs and some sort of mad plot to become super powerful, charged or something. Uh, but back at the base, some poorly scripted mocking from one CIA agent who wants to see her angel's wings and says Hank's called Big Feet. Um provides motivation, enough motivation for Angel to hate all humanity as we see in a minute. I do think a character I know we'll get there (laughs) we'll definitely get there. Shaw's crew arrives Azazel Azazel let's try that again Uh, Azazel teleports around the place dropping all the agents uh, around from high to their deaths including the man in black it's quite, a, it's
1: quite a cool visual though when you see like yeah, it's, it's you cool, see the, cool the bodies is dropping like,
0: uh, I don't know how he's dropping them all at the same time. <laughs> I, don't I don't know, <laughs> but it still looks cool and it's quite stark gra- yeah. visual graphical. So There's not blood, but that one guy who hits the awning yeah. is just kind of dangling there. Mm. It's like wow, that's pretty harsh for this film, you know. Um, Shaw deals with a ton of soldiers by taking all their fire and tossing the energy back at them with explosive results that literally blowing up the entire room around them. His other friend, Tornado Man, makes some tornadoes. <laughs> it's like these two really dangerous people turning up, and then his mate turning up going, I'm here too. I make tornadoes. Except he's not allowed to talk, because he's like, Italian or something. I don't know. i, I have to double-check where the actor's from. I mean, are.
1: it's quite a cool job he
0: got, though. Yeah. This is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gets to wear a suit, gets paid for it. After killing everyone, Shaw offers the mutants the chance to join him. Angel does it immediately, without second guessing mm. anything. Like she's she and, and Raven are both screaming and running around and freaking out that people are dying, and then she's like immediately like Okay Shaw, mate, Shaw, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll come join you.
0: Um as they are leaving, Darwin attempts to use his and Alex's powers to save Angel. But Shaw absorbs Alex's attack. And before leaving, takes all the energy he has gathered, pops it into Darwin's mouth and challenges him to adapt to that. Eventually, Darwin succumbs and is disintegrated. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, This is a moment that doesn't sit well with some fans of the X-Men comics and films. Firstly, because Darwin literally can survive anything and has adapted to survive worse in the comics. He can't control it. He just always survives. Um, For an example, which I I found out after researching and writing this bit, uh, he fought Hela, God of death. um, And he adapted with his mutant powers to survive by becoming the new God of death. That's the sort of level of adaption. So like, it's quite a powerful. He fought the there. Hulk by he he fought the Hulk by uh, teleporting as far away as possible from the Hulk in an instant oh. to survive. So
1: he's got a whole range of like this. Yeah,
0: just things just happened to him. He can't oh. control it. He got he got an infected infected with a disease that could kill anyone, and to survive, his body turned him into a sponge. Oh, so that he wouldn't have an immune system.
1: I say you should actually survive this technically like if they go
0: it's just entirely random solutions to the problem that's happening. So he easily would have survived this, which means the writers put in that the most unkillable person in the entire history of the Marvel Universe was killed. And I understand that this is a conceit of the script. This powerful mutant is so powerful, he killed this uncle. They could easily a different mutant, though, because they didn't really do, do much in the actual. There's more key points to this. Mm-hmm. Secondly, because the only two people of colour in the film are a stripper and she betrays everyone <laughs> doing it, um, via minimal motivation, which is also a bit of a cliche, uh, and the other character, young black man, who shouldn't be able to die at all is killed for doing the right thing he not only gets killed he's eviscerated from existence yeah. and you can't even mourn his body yeah. it's like this is not good coding when it comes to writing something like you've just taken your two people of color your two minorities in a film that's a, a series that's yeah. about minorities you've evaporated yeah. one from existence and turned the other one into a bad one. Yeah. It just does it doesn't play well to to a lot of people in the room when you think about it. Um what can you say really? Um It's even more jarring actually because he's the only heroic mutant character to die at all in the film.
1: I do think it's a bit random where he killed like, Especially after, that, after he said, like, we, don't hurt, we don't harm our own kind.
0: Yes, that's the other thing. And he just goes, to make... he
1: kills his own kind. Like. Yeah. That's why I put
0: that pin <laughs> yeah. in that earlier. Because he's like, we don't harm our own kind. Or we're going to specifically kill this character. Yeah. Um, And it's not the character doing that. Like Again, it's yeah. a script writer. Specifically yeah. choosing to kill off this one specific character. He's a minority representing another minority. He shouldn't be able to be killed. No. So in the comics, it's just offensive in that sense. Like even if you don't care about what his race is, mm. like you just that shouldn't be possible. Like again, we can give exceptions for the fact that it's not the comics. So maybe he can't adapt to everything in this universe, no. whatever. But it's still a writer's choice to purposefully kill off this but, specific character. But it felt character. like they
1: just wanted to, they wanted to kill off so they can say. Yeah, adapt yeah. To it. That, that's, yeah, that one yeah. line. This is, is uh,
0: yeah, that and also they've killed off the most powerful yeah. power character. Therefore, this guy's even more powerful. But it but could it, have been anyone. It could have been any actor. Yeah,
1: but if you didn't know the comics, you wouldn't know he's the most powerful, would you? You just think he's some like.
0: Yeah, yeah, but if you take that away, it's still yeah this specific yeah. character, this specific minority, this specific yeah. Like it's a load of choices that do not look good, <laughs> even if they were innocent yeah. choices. Um, it's unfortunate <laughs> for the film. Because aside from that, it's it doesn't really do anything that's truly striking yeah. or anything. But it can be read in a very yeah. bad way, is what we're saying. Here. Um, and again, especially after he said, we don't harm our own. It's like, oh, that's contradictory. Either you do or you don't put it in there that they do. And it, doesn't, it isn't as jarring. Um, and maybe make that a slightly different character or have a different performer play them or... You know, it's just all these different things layered in just makes it feel very bad um, when you reflect on it. In the moment, most people don't notice, obviously. Um, There were some really good videos that have mentioned this seeing this problem before me. So um, I I tried looking for some. I think I've seen them as part of videos about other parts of the film Um, and not specifically just this topic but I wouldn't be surprised if there were a couple of video essays that talked about it um, yeah this was supposed to be our discussion but we've had our discussion in our <laughs> um, aside from that the attack scene on the the location the the way he's like you say dropping yeah, all the people it's striking yeah. it's unexpected it's quite visceral it, it shows Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. is capable of kicking ass
1: it yeah. <laughs> kind of shows how the old are like, unprepared because they're all like they're just freaking out they're like oh. Yeah. what do we do like and you've got these mutants have been using their powers for years probably
0: and they're not doing anything <laughs> like the good mutants aren't doing anything yeah. either. To, they're just as freaked out yeah um, which shows their age really more than anything um, let's get back into yeah. it now. <laughs> because I've got something to go into I've got some deep, deep research to go into now so brace yourselves buck yourself in Moscow Russia we find our general from before hanging out with Shaw, who says, oh, I'm sorry, the hell, how the CIA treated you. So, um, And he convinces him to move missiles to a new site, yeah. Cuba. This is the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, for clarity and reference, the Cuban Missile Crisis of October 1962 was a direct and dangerous confrontation between the United States and the Soviet Union during the Cold War and was the moment when the two superpowers came closest to nuclear conflict. Uh, This is according to history.state.gov Milestones' Cuban Missile Crisis. I'll put links in the show notes and whatnot. Um, The crisis was unique in a number of ways. Featuring calculations and miscalculations, as well as direct and secret communications and miscommunications between the two sides the dramatic crisis was also characterized by the fact it was primarily played out at the white house and kremlin level with relatively little input from respective bureaucracies typically involved in the foreign policy process uh, after a failed us attempt to overthrow castro uh, in cuba with the bay of pigs invasion the white Uh, uh, And while the Kennedy administration planned Operation Mongoose in July 1962, Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev reached a secret agreement with the Cuban Premier Fidel Castro to place Soviet nuclear missiles in Cuba to deter any future invasion attempt. Construction of several missile sites began in late summer, but US intelligence uh, discovered the evidence of a general Soviet arms build up in Cuba, um, including it involved a uh, high flying surveillance aircraft that took photographs of oh. high quality uh, for the first time around this time. And it was like 70,000 feet, like 13 oh. miles above the surface. Um, and they had specialists who would look at photographs and be able to figure out the exact dimensions of every object on the photograph so they could tell what type of lorry it was oh, so like, oh. by, by just judging the measurements and stuff um, which is why they knew mostly what was going on um, this photograph is famous there's a, there's a lot of really famous stuff going, fascinating stuff going on around this I've linked to some YouTube videos that are worth watching that talk about this specifically um, the photograph how it was used and about the Cuban Missile Crisis in general. I've also linked to the Kennedy tapes, because famously, and this has been done by other presidents Mm. as well, but Kennedy was one of the first to really do it. Kennedy secretly recorded every single meeting he ever had in the White House. Yeah. um. And then tapes become available for people to listen to and and double-check because he he found that there was something that happened, I I can't remember this specific, where... um, it didn't have the desired result. The people involved denied being in the meetings course, or agreeing yeah. to it. So he wanted to make sure for 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 honesty and proof that he that you know, you could say this yeah. person did agree with it. You know. Um And so other presidents have recorded meetings since then in the White House, maybe not quite as prolifically. Oh, there, there, is, there is a website that has the, the Kennedy archives, oh. and there's a Kennedy Library, and um, I, I've linked to the um, state of address to, state, to the that he did that it, is in this film um, on the days. Anyway, we'll get back to the. Um, where are we? Uh, this included uh, Soviet. IL 28 bombers, including routine surveillance flights, and on September 4th, 1962, President Kennedy issued a public warning against the introduction of offensive weapons into Cuba, specifically nuclear weapons, if possible. Despite the warning, on October 14th, a US U 2 aircraft took several pictures, clearly showing sites for medium range and intermediate range ballistic nuclear missiles. IRBMs and uh, MRBMs, sorry, and IRBMs under construction in Cuba. Um, The images were processed and presented to the White House the next day, thus uh, precipitating the onset of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, Kennedy summoned summoned his closest advisors to consider options and direct course of action for the United States that would resolve the crisis. So he was presented essentially with three options. One missile strike attack an invasion of Cuba. Others favoured stern warnings to Cuba and the Soviet Union. Uh, The president decided upon a middle course. On October the 22nd, very specific date, he ordered a naval quarantine of Cuba. So there was a line drawn in the sea, which we see in the film. Um, and the use of quarantine legally distinguished this action from a blockade which assumed a state of war existed so the use of the quarantine instead of blockade also enabled the united states to receive the support of the organization of american states so um crossing the blockade with nuclear weapons would require a strike from mm. you know firing of missiles from any site um, by the Soviets on any site in the world in the West it's very, very um, I'm t- kind of sp- skimming over it to an extent but you know it's literally we were seconds away from nuclear war during the nuclear, nuclear missile crisis you think
1: nowadays that would be like
0: yeah it, it was through your pants time mate um, the same day Kennedy sent a letter to Khrushchev declaring that the United States would not permit offensive weapons to be delivered to Cuba and demanded that the Soviets dismantle dismantle the missile bases already under construction or completed and return all offensive weapons to the USSR. The letter was first in a series of direct and indirect communications between the White House and the Kremlin throughout the remainder of the crisis. The president also went on national television that evening to inform the public of the developments in Cuba. This decision to initiate the enforce a quarantine and the potential global consequences of the crisis continued to escalate. It shall be the policy of this nation to regard any nuclear missile launched from Cuba against any nation in the Western Hemisphere as an attack by the Soviet Union on the United States. So Missile hits, say Canada, the United States, yeah. consider an attack on the United States. Um, requiring a full retaliatory response upon the Soviet Union, uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff announced a military readiness status of DEFCON 3 as US naval forces began implementation of the quarantine and plans accelerated for military strike on Cuba. On October 24th, which is when the final events of the film are going to take place. So everybody knows. Um, Khrushchev responds to Kennedy's message with a statement that the US blockade was an act of aggression and the Soviet ships bound for Cuba would be ordered to proceed. Nevertheless, during October 24th and 25th, some of the ships turned back from the quarantine line. Others were stopped by US naval forces, but they contained no offensive weapons and they were allowed to proceed. The first ship they checked to see if it was carrying weapons wasn't a Soviet ship. It was like Argentinian or oh. something. But they, the, the doing of it showed the intent yeah. and that's why they chose a ship deliberately that wasn't Soviet, I think. I could be wrong on that.
1: Cause they didn't want to start a war, but like... We want to
0: make it look like we have the intent to yeah. do this specific thing so that it's one more step serious. Deterrence.
2: Uh,
0: hmm. uh, nevertheless, during October 24th, some ships returned back from the quarantine line, others stopped by the US naval forces, but they contained no offensive weapons and so were allowed to proceed. Meanwhile, US reconnaissance flights over Cuba indicated that the Soviet missile sites were nearing operational readiness... With no apparent end to the crisis in sight, US forces were placed at DEFCON 2, meaning war involving the Strategic Air Command was imminent. Like, it's literally, like, if DEFCON 3, if the president says launch missiles, you're 15 minutes away from launching missiles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So DEFCON 2 is like, oh, fucking hell. (laughs) Yeah. on October 26th, Kennedy told his advisers it appeared that only a US attack on Cuba would remove the missiles, but he insisted on giving the diplomatic channel a little more time. The crisis had reached a virtual stalemate. That afternoon, however, the crisis took a dramatic turn. ABC News correspondent John Sackley reported to the White House that he had been approached by a Soviet agent suggesting that a government could be uh, agreement could be reached with the you know, soviets uh would remove their missiles from cuba if the united states promised not to invade the island so khrushchev has gone i need to come out of this looking good for <laughs> for the rest of my my people otherwise my position is untenable oh. um so he's gone in and said this is my request you don't invade cuba And then we'll leave. So it looks like he's made a demand of some kind. While White House staff scrambled to assess the validity, assess the validity, I can say it eventually, of this back-channel offer, Khrushchev sent Kennedy a message the evening of October 26th, which meant it was sent in the middle of the night Moscow time. It was a long, emotional message that raised the specter of nuclear holocaust. Presented the proposed resolution that remarkably resembled that Scully reported earlier that day. If there is no intention, he said, to doom the world to the catastrophe of thermonuclear war, then let us only relax the forces pulling on the ends of the rope. Let us take measures to untie that knot. We are ready for this. Although U.S. experts were convinced the message from Khrushchev was authentic, hope for resolution was short-lived. The next day, October 27th, Khrushchev sent another message indicating that any proposal deal must include the removal of U.S. Jupiter missiles from Turkey. The same day, a U.S. U-2 reconnaissance jet was shot down over Cuba. Kennedy and his advisors prepared for an attack on Cuba within days as they searched for a remaining diplomatic solution. So, not only is this all getting hyped up, a plane has now been shut down, an American plane. It was determined that Kennedy would ignore the second Khrushchev message and respond to the first one. That night, Kennedy set forth in his message to the Soviet leader proposed steps for the removal of Soviet missiles from Cuba under the supervision of the United Nations. And a guarantee that the United States would not attack Cuba. It was a risky move to ignore the second Khrushchev message. Attorney General Robert Kennedy uh, then met with Soviet Ambassador, or Bobby Kennedy, the the brother of (laughs) JFK, uh, to the United States. and Dubryan, I hope I got that right, indicated that the United States was planning to remove the Jupiter missiles from Turkey anyway. And it would do so soon. But this could not be part of any public resolution to the missile crisis. The next morning, October 28th, Khrushchev issued a public statement. That Soviet missiles would be dismantled and removed from Cuba. Um, there also was this agreement to remove missiles from Italy as well. <laughs> Although that's not mentioned here. I've put links, I say, to some interesting... Reads and listens and watches. Um, But that's generally the overall arc. So, this sort of one week period, all this happened. Uh, So, in the film, we know when Kennedy does his address, Mm. and we know that the next day they fly over to deal with what's going on. So, we're going to pretend that's. (laughs) And obviously, the events in the film diverge because there's supermotion sort of creatures (laughs) involved. But also, um, there were a couple of moments during the Cold War where we almost all died. Oh. Um, that one, the equivalent of a Russian boat operator firing yeah. missiles at another boat. That It was also Russian. But there was uh, a sub that went down and the commander of the sub, the captain of the sub, couldn't communicate. So he jumped to the conclusion that we were at war and almost oh. fired nuclear missiles. <laughs> um, but he was convinced by other people okay. to, to not fire his missiles. And there's been a couple of occasions of stuff like that happening.
1: I was finding it weird though. Like, why would you want to fight nuclear missiles? Like, if, you're, if you're in that situation where you're going down and stuff, why would you want to put the
0: world into like... Because
1: obviously, as soon as you've that nuke, it's not going to affect the country you find that.
0: Some people are really tired to the idea of being told This is how you do it and stick to it. One of these people who chose not to fire missiles... There's this famous... Ned was talking about it yesterday. There's this famous event where one of the nuclear missile launch silos, um, their computer started reading messages that hundreds of missiles were being launched towards Russia, the Soviet Union, and multiple times the person who was most responsible for firing the missiles ignored the computer um, because it didn't feel right. It wasn't enough missiles mm-hmm. to be a full strike, but it was, you know, one of those sort of dicey mm-hmm. moments. And it was just a computer glitch. And that's what the song, I think, 99 Red Balloons is about. Oh, like Because the song is talking about 99 Red Balloons mm-hmm. setting off. A missile detection system, oh, if you ever get the chance to listen to that song again,
1: I'll be like, oh God oh <laughs>
0: yeah, floating in the summer sky, uh, you know. um panic bells, red alert, you know, and you listen to it again, um, but the guy who decided not to fire missiles later was fired from his job and lived in poverty for the rest of his life because he didn't do what he was supposed to do despite saving the entire planet.
1: That's what I mean, though. how can you just... Fight? Like, it's just to me, it's just, nuclear, the whole point, of nu- the whole nuclear thing is weird to me, like, it's like we have nuclear weapons, but when people say, would you fire them if the UK got a nu-, I'm like, why would you want to fight it back? That, that, if someone lost a nuclear at our country, well, then anyway, so who cares, like, at some point.
0: Stop firing, yeah, don't worry about yeah, yeah, it. Like, yeah. Hey, maybe some of our people will go to their country and survive, because there won't be wasteland over
1: there. I <laughs> mean, it's like, at some point, everyone's like, you're not getting revenge for us, really. No. Nah. He's just making the whole world even worse off in a lot. Yeah. yeah the,
2: the,
0: I don't know. It's. it's... I understand there are people... still people now who support the idea of firing nukes.
1: You I understand say. why we have nukes, but I don't believe in nukes, if that makes mm. sense. Like <laughs>
0: You understand the concept behind yeah. why it's all happened, but yeah. it shouldn't have happened.
1: I, I believe that every country should get rid of their nukes, but it's never, it's never going to happen, so. <laughs> anyway.
0: Uh, back at the base, Charles and Eric find surviving remaining mutants and talk to them about taking them home. Mm-hmm. Uh, with But with Eric's support, the team make plans to move against Shaw and they decide to train as a team. Henry says they have nowhere to go, but Charles says they do. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Daddy Stryker is talking to McCone, <laughs> who's the guy with glasses, yeah. about what to do with Frost. Frost uses her finger to cut the glass a two-way mirror, and dresses the men about an oncoming war, but she jests that the war assumes both sides have a chance of winning, which seems like a scene that does nothing. Like, also,
1: like why did she? Uh, why did she? I was thinking, why did she use the power to get out of this?
0: Yeah, I know. she would use her mind to just let herself free?
1: I was thinking, like, like there's no reason for her to be locked up there. She could, she could probably get out like
0: a few minutes. <laughs> Maybe she, it's shielded or in there. She can't use her powers or whatever. Maybe, I guess. Um, but all she needs to do is convince one of those two men who yeah. have the most power to dare out. Um, but as a scene, it like, doesn't yeah. serve anything. It's just there for a bit of filler, it feels like. Meanwhile, boats, the Navy, the war room, Russia's milita- missiles are sailing towards the island of Cuba on a, and close to war. Charles shows the rest of the team the mansion and the team head in to train. Russia talks about its plans to dispatch its fleet in its war room. TV news about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Weird panels, like Mm. the editing in the film, just starts going all weird Mm. at this point. Like all these shots of like squares and multiple camera Mm. angles and stuff. Um, Gun. Charles points gun at Eric's head. They talk about Eric uses how Eric uses his abilities. It's based around his anger. Alex. Alex, Alex looks down in the bunker with Charles for target practice. Next, Banshee uses his voice to smash a window. Charles helps to train him. Charles and Henry talk about literature, Jekyll and Hyde. Alex sets fire to the bunker. Three panels of Alex out of nowhere. Like You see him three times for no reason. Mm. It's the only time it happens in the entire film. Two of the panels turn into either side of Banshee's fabric, sort of glider wings. They drop him out of a window. Charles and Hank race. Hank is apparently capable of super speed. Alex is a dick to him. Again. Raven waves uh, affectionately at Hank out of a window. Lifting weights. But Eric lifts them. Tells her about using half her concentration. Drops the weight, almost killing her. She's somehow superhumanly strong because she catches that weight as it falls out of nowhere. Despite having... I assume... I don't want to go off on a one here. Her mutant power is literally just aging slowly and looking however yeah. she wants. She doesn't have superhuman strength. So
1: I guess I guess well it, it didn't really work because I thought like, because even if even if you're have catching something that heavy coming down at you he's gonna like. But I guess they were trying to make it like because you only use 50% of your power. If you're not if you're if you're in skin, you'd have a hundred percent, but
0: what is her power then?
1: I don't know. <laughs> She's' strong she
0: like she seems to be no no superhuman yeah. strength there, but except for this one instance i mean the 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 story yeah. visually it's saying that but <sighs> <laughs> um she'll never show any sign of superhuman strength, yeah. and up until this moment she's been pretty fucking inept yeah. as well she's screamed <laughs> every time anything's happened and run away from everything um even angel who betrayed them. Could spit fireballs. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Charles and Hank race. He's got super speed. Uh, Alex is a new top. It lets him focus the blasts. He falls over using it. Hank tells Raven she's like so special and aging super slow. Which we know. That's our comics thing, thankfully. The group push Banshee off a giant radar dish and he glides. <laughs> he should have died. Back to the opening scene. Eric attempts to move a massive radar dish from earlier. Charles enters Eric's head and finds his happiest memory. The pair are moved to tears, and Eric uses his powers finally to move the dish. Moira leans out the window and mentions the president is making an address, and the team heads indoors. Moira has mostly vanished from the film up until now. <laughs> So she's supposed to be with them, but she's done nothing. She's just seen because she said nothing, done nothing. She stood there next to Charles as he's talking to Banshee. And then that's it. Um, the president is talking about the crisis. I've linked to this presidential address. I think it's this one. Um, boats, subs, news, drinks. George just explains how well things are going to Angel. She just sits there and just kind of like <laughs> nods. So, yeah. She does I've, that. She has. Zero lines. I've been here for two while.
1: minutes, but I'm sure it's going well. Oh, yeah. She's
0: like, "Yeah, I'm totally down with murdering all <sighs> humanity for no reason aside from the fact one guy made fun of the fact I've got wings." Yeah. Like, sure. She just she's drinking the Kool Aid for no reason straight away, or well, the champagne mm-hmm. in this case. Uh, that night, Hank brings the cure to Raven. She questions if they should have to hide, but he says they already are, um, and that whatever happens, even if everybody accepts them, that they'll never be doomed beautiful. And she gets upset while he leaves.
1: This scene really irked me.
0: Okay.
1: It's the fact when she's like, oh, she's like, am I pretty, like, as a blue? And he goes, no, you're pretty now, as a human. I was like, Hank, you're just like a pile of crap here, like, <laughs> like, you've not been hiding the whole thing. All they're showing is, like, some people taking a piece out of your big feet that's all That's all they've ever show. people take it like and people get that all the time and normal people get it all the time so like <laughs> yeah they just, I feel like they just make Hank I don't know the the, the way they wrote Hank is it just comes across as like
0: if again if he'd had the massive yeah. weird hands if his proportions yeah. been even yeah. more freaky then you could understand it to an extent um, but yeah they. Fr- I suppose it was too hard to make him look more unique as a non fairy version of the beast.
1: Maybe they, sh- maybe they have showed him more like maybe he was younger, like, getting picked on something. Because yeah. I feel like he doesn't... Some either... motivation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he doesn't like appreciate other pe- other mutants' feelings as well. I'm like. <laughs> it's just like... I'm like, Hank, yeah. you to say...
0: Um, maybe they intended to leave it in for future references. so that, maybe. That In other films, they could address it, <laughs> but he doesn't come across well. He never comes across well in this, this film. <laughs> um... Eric and Charles play chess talking about the situation and how Eric plans to kill Shaw which we all know.
1: I love this idea. I love this film playing chess because he's always like even actually like he's got playing chess in his little when Eric's in prison in the future they're playing chess like they're
0: yeah, one of the good carry, <laughs> carryovers yeah. like chess is what it's about Charles is dead at the end of like last stand mm. right? so it's him playing chess by himself yeah
1: so this chess thing has been throughout, and it's a very subtle thing. Like,
0: um, and, and obviously at the end of that—it's interesting. The end of Last Stand, going back to that <laughs> episode, like he, his friend's dead, and his powers are gone, yeah. and it feels like he's lost the chess game. Yeah. And then you start seeing him play with yeah. the pieces again. Like maybe not. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, in this lab. Hank takes the cure. He stabs it directly <laughs> in the side of his foot, which is uncomfortable to watch with his weird feet. And for a brief moment, his feet, for some reason, shrink back to normal. Because the idea of the cure... Uh, this is the second film with a cure in it, actually, when you think about it, is that it it removes the effects of the yeah. X-Gene, right? But it shouldn't just suddenly make your bones reset and your body parts (laughs) shrink back into a different form. You've already mutated physically. That should still be a weird hand. So, technically, it shouldn't. Logically, it shouldn't work. But let's pretend his mutant power is hands for feet. And somehow he could transform them back and forth willingly. But he just doesn't have control over it. Let's just go that far. So, his feet turn into normal feet. Or or average feet, because what is normal, you know, for a moment. And he looks ecstatic, and then painlessly, I may I point out, Uh. this all happens. And then suddenly, his feet start turning blue, and he turns back to hands, and then his arms start turning blue. He turns into Beast. We know what Beast looks like. Um, And his he collapses. In Eric's room, we find Raven naked. She's always naked, but (laughs) whatever. Because her clothes are her as well, aren't they? Um, In his bed. He asks her to leave and says, maybe in a few years. Not, you're not blue, I don't fancy you. (laughs) It's that she's too young. If
1: if she ages slowly, though, how old is she, though?
0: She's still younger than Charles. I guess. And she's still appropriately aged here in comparison. She turns into Rebecca Remain. Hello. Hello, older Rebecca, older Raven. Uh, he said, and she's blonde here. Remember when she lost her yeah. powers and she was dark red? Oh. Uh, anyway, he says he prefers the real Raven. So she changes back into the normal human looking version of her. And he says, no, the real Raven. So she turns blue. And then. Uh, now he sees her blue. Her age is no longer a problem. <laughs> so they <laughs> kiss. You don't know whether or not they go all the way, but it's implied, obviously. Uh, immediately later, she walks down into the kitchen, naked, which is a, a valid problem for Giles to complain about because it's the kitchen. Yeah. Put your bits away. <laughs> and she talks to shit to him, like she she really hates the idea of him trying to fit in with. Humanity okay. not not to bend to them but to just live yeah. a normal life. For no reason. She doesn't seem to have a motivation that explains why she's against that as a concept.
1: I don't know. I don't know why she's going against Charles to watch you in this film. It's another thing I think we understand like, like
0: it's maybe his attitude towards yeah. her because he thinks she looks better when she's not blue maybe. is like maybe you shouldn't be so rude, Charles. But the idea of coexisting with people yeah. isn't so bad Like, you don't have to there doesn't have to be a lack of a middle ground where mm. you're not a mass murderer <laughs> you know you can be alive and kind to people yeah. who aren't like you yeah. but even if you're arrogant enough to think mutants are superior because they've evolved yeah. you, you still have empathy for humanity where people haven't evolved and you could just be jumping to conclusions and strangling somebody who you think isn't a mutant and it turns out you find out later after you've watched the film there are I mean. <laughs> but that's yeah we'll, we've covered that um so i don't know it's just like uh just her being in the kitchen naked like, <laughs> why don't why did do the series insist on making her completely nude and blue that's what i never understood
1: when it's been times when she wearing a bath over your... yeah she so she wears obviously...
0: any clothes still be blue blue yeah, yeah. like then then the the yeah, you know, She wouldn't have complained as an actress about the blowing up process because yeah. her whole body It took her seven plus hours every time to do the whole body, well, and she had to stand up from a lot of it.
1: Still, less time than Robocop, yeah, sure. to get any suit. Like,
0: no, that's that's they did that now, it wouldn't take that long because it's not on
1: right, right? I can't, they are
0: yeah, anyway. <laughs> um. They they head off. She walks out angry. Later in the film, Hank, uh, the team finds Hank's trashed lab. He's left them a note and a set of suits.
1: With X on a box.
0: Yes. <laughs> At the hangar, Hank walks out in the most laughable blue monster man makeup ever made.
1: I did think he looks
0: he, awful. Just, yeah. right? I don't know how he just looks. It's, uh, it seems like it's a mix of CGI and prosthetics. Because yeah, in X-Men Last Stand, he actually looks all right. That, yeah, um, it doesn't help that the dubbed voiceover because it's not him on set talking, it's a re recorded ADR sort of voice work, doesn't sync with his mouth very well, and so it sounds different than the rest of it in the room. Um, And he does look more like the beast I know from comics and and cartoons Mm. in Last Stand, but. A later on, he does mutate into a more beast-like mm. beast-man, mm. which is part of the motivation, but the director is the most responsible for this look because he wanted to look less like Kelsey Grammer and more like an actual monster beast-man. Oh. So, it's, you know, you don't want to use the words his fault, but it's <laughs> his fault. It's <laughs> his um, and it doesn't look like a good version of that. You can see where, yeah, sure, you could make him more beast-like, but you could attach an appendage to a jaw to make it jut out a bit more, give him maybe a nose slightly more beast-like. But it's the entire face, yeah. and it just looks like a rubberized yeah. sort of beast face, and it just doesn't have the the flexibility mm-hmm. of motion in an expression that you need really to make it match. So it just looks laughable. Yeah. And very out of place.
1: Even the glasses, there's
0: this goofy little glasses. (laughs) Um, It is what it is. You you kind of get over it eventually. But later on, when he's flying the plane and it's spinning around and he does this expression, and you see they've manipulated it with CG, and it's just really bad. Anyway, with the Cuban Minnesota crisis, America. The commanding officer, Sam Fisher. It's the voice of Sam Fisher. And also he's in loads of other stuff. Michael Ironside. Michael Ironside. Uh, asks the status. It's funny how you see Michael Ironside and you see a couple other well-known actors just in bit parts. Not as named characters. Or anything. He
1: just seems to lot standing around looking out <laughs> his he's He's good for this role. Yeah.
0: Like He's a good ship's quality yeah. in this sort of situation. But, but he's like, what's he doing here? Um us that's russians captain bird's eye the russian <laughs> captain bird's eye asks about uh, orders the, uh, both sides are in battle stations alarms guns pointing radio the ship is ordered to turn but it doesn't respond as a uh, the supply ship heading towards the blockade is the x-men beast <laughs> comments charles searches the mines for the cargo ship the crew is dead which is why the ship isn't yeah. turning around um The Russians radio Americans and say the ship isn't responding. They think it's a ruse. Charles, at the last moment, enters the mind of a Russian crew member and makes him blow up the cargo ship, narrowly averting war. Although, this never got this close. This is really close for for what was going to happen. Shaw's team realise what happened and Shaw makes plans. The crew of the X-Men see where the sub is. Um... I can't see where the sub is. Um, so they send out Banshee.
1: To scream into the sea. So
0: to scream into the sea. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to quite put it that way. <laughs> but yes. Shaw decides to use the sub's reactor to superpower himself as a backup for the lack of a nuclear war. So he he like heads in and grabs hold, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. of these two bars attached to the sub's reactor and starts sort of absorbing the radiation and the visual effects are really stunning for this yeah. sort of small no. scale effect seeing multiple faces mm. and imaging and, and healing and vibrating and his skin coming apart and his, multiple sets of teeth, yeah. it's really unique probably the best visuals in this film um, but it doesn't make sense with his powers because, like he, he absorbs things striking, energy hitting him and he's, here he's just sucking out the oh. energy of the radiation. Like radiation is weird, obviously it's like always yeah. hitting things. So technically, you could say that way. But uh, in that sense, shouldn't the room itself always have energy and always being yeah. absorbing? It's hard to know quite how his powers work. I will accept it as a conceit for his powers. It works for the film, okay. Um, and it's striking, like I said. Banshee drops into the air. And in, then into the sea and uses his power to scream, scream <laughs> to find the sub. Uh, as Shaw powers himself up, Eric uses his powers to lift the sub out of the ocean, as both the Americans and Russians watch. Shaw's mate, Windman, uses his powers to knock everybody out of the sky. Raven continues doing what she's been doing all along, screaming as they crash. Uh, the teams clash, and Eric and Charles attempt to enter the sub. Windman is taken out really easily. He's just standing there and then splat underneath <laughs> the metal. I
1: was like, well, your power set is kind of useless now. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Beast and Havoc take flight and fight as a cell. Eric disables the reactor. Angel coughs up a fireball at Havoc before Banshee takes on Angel. That's good. So they, there's the way they did the visual effects yeah. on this fight scene they just dangled yeah. the performers from helicopters oh. and flew, flew them around so okay. it's not it's not cg or anything i thought it looks all right yeah um it's pretty good looking um and it's one of the best sort of little battle scenes yeah. um, eric and shaw talk in the sub about what's going to happen and eric slaps shaw only to see his powers. I don't think Eric knew he was a mutant until now.
1: I guess he wouldn't know, would he?
0: No, I don't think anybody... The kids, the other mutants didn't mention it no. directly. They just said that he was killed. Mm. and Maybe it was... I mean, you'd assume they'd have mentioned it mm. properly, but he doesn't seem to react until now. That, and they mention in that conversation over the chessboard that, that he thinks all humans are like, short. Sure. Oh. And it turns out Shaw was immune, so he'd, maybe that wouldn't be like... I guess the kids wouldn't
1: know his name anyway, would they? Mm. The kids wouldn't know his name anyway, would they? Like,
0: mm-hmm. Well, so. he mentioned his name. Sebastian Shaw. Hello, I'm oh, Sebastian yeah, Shaw. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's an interesting moment where it's like, does he know that he's mm. immune until now? Did he assume he was just a Nazi scientist who was ageing very slowly? Who knows? Um, also, he may be remembering him Like as younger when he was a kid but actually he's always looked the same. Um, Eric and Shaw have a little fight. Shaw's attacks on Eric cracks the room to free Charles up to observe everything with his mental abilities but Shaw's wearing his helmet so he can't stop him Mm -hmm. mentally. Um, After beating Shaw uh, uh, after a beating from Shaw Eric Mid-conversation, Eric distracts Shaw and removes his helmet with his magnetism powers. He uses a cable to kind of grab the helmet and pull it off his head. Um, in later films, or earlier films, the helmet is manipulated with magnetic powers as well. So is how helmet on metal, then? So, I don't know. <laughs> it may be a non-manipulative metal yeah, you know, not all males are magnetized. Or
1: because at the end he does have if he does have it modified. Yeah, so he's that got might, my little sort of yeah.
0: diamond thing that is in the comics. So
1: maybe that is the thing that is. Yeah, magnetized. but that isn't in the earlier films. No.
0: So obviously it's a different <laughs> design. We'll again jump yeah. through hoops here to kinda of mm-hmm. justify it. But I think that's probably why he can yeah. manipulate that. I mean they can say, Oh yeah, he added a bit yeah. that's metal. Um after Taking the helmet off, Charles gets into his head, freezes him, which is good because they set the, the groundwork for him yeah. freezing him. In case you haven't seen the second film, Eric then puts on the helmet and talks with Shaw about the future. He says he agrees with him. He talks about his mother's murder and that he shouldn't have killed her. You know, you know, sadly, you killed my mother. So uh, as Charles desperately pleads, somehow he knows Eric can't hear him. So is he talking through Shaw's mouth? And we're just not seeing him. I assumed
1: it. that. Because we see him
0: <laughs> positioned so that he's in Shaw's head, sort of. Um, as he pleads desperately out loud, Eric slowly moves the coin as he counts down, one, three, two, one, through Shaw's head killing him and it's implied Charles is feeling it as it yeah. happens because he's in his head.
1: It's quite a nasty scene though. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it, it makes sense though. That it makes sense he... but,
1: but I mean it's, look, it's imagine, like yeah. this nasty like, coin is like so you got anything. Yeah.
0: This thing's been passed through your skull. Um, Like if he'd moved it any faster it wouldn't cause the yeah. impact it makes sense that he's doing it this way. And it all ties back to the beginning. Yeah. Also he, he worked for the Nazis and killed yeah, them, of course. So you know fuck him. But Um, yeah, it's still quite visually striking. Uh, this is something though, he's just absorbed most of the radioactive power from the nuclear subs' engines. You know, um, shouldn't his death cause that all to explode out of him? Because you know, you can't just contain that much energy and (laughs) not go anywhere. Maybe somebody. hooks him up to something and he charges their yeah. car for a week or so. Um, I would have had it so that if he died it exploded. Oh. As a as a sort of concept. And if nothing else, knowing he's done that, I wouldn't want to risk killing him on the other character's yeah. point of view. Because like, what if he blows <laughs> up? If we kill him, I don't know. Um, meanwhile, the American War Room. The government and military brass Choose to attack and remove the mutants with a strike on the beach, and somehow they know the Russians agree with them. Oh. <laughs> they just—they've oh, just decided on the cuff. Just, oh, these mutants are dangerous. Let's shoot them all. Uh, so they do. Uh, as they do, Magneto exits the sub with Shaw's body up in a sort of crucified mm. position. He addresses the mutants, preaching to them about the evil of humanity. His accent moving very obviously yeah. into Irish. As he does. Um, I think it's just a problem with him doing a speech and yeah. projecting outwards. More loud version of the, the the speech that he can't hold the accent he's trying to do at the same time. Should we just go I to guess, very Irish? Who knows how many times we do this thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they just get it over with. Um, guns from all the ships train on the beach and Moira runs to communicate with the ships as Charles confirms that's what's happening. Moira can't reach the ship's by radio, and she looks like she's dejected, like she, we're all screwed, sort of look. But Charles could have used his mind powers to communicate with everybody yes. on all of the ships what was going on, or maybe just to make them not fire their missiles.
1: Maybe they're too far away, so.
0: I don't know. He's close enough, I think. Yes. He's in the jet, and he controls one person. All he has to do is send a message yes. to the He doesn't have to physically control them. Um, I don't know. He could have tried. Uh, no matter, as Magneto stops all the missiles mid-flight in the air and turns them to face the ships. Charles says there's thousands of innocent men on the ships and he speaks the worst line possible for a survivor of the camps. They're just following orders. Charles attempts to prevent the attack by running at Eric, but uh, Eric retain, regains control. The f- missiles fly back in mm. the ships. Both ships' commanders Looks say the same thing to their crews and say, "Men, it's been an honour to mm. serve with you, essentially. But the missiles eventually get stopped as uh, Moira comes out of the mm. ship or plane with her gun and shoots multiple times at Eric and as he's deflecting the bullets, one bullet flies into the spinal column of Charles and Charles collapses to the ground and both uh, Moira and Eric a shocked and goes rushing towards him. Um
1: and he pulls the bullet out of his spine.
0: Yeah, pulls the bullet out, which may be what did him in as well. But like not just the bullet <laughs> going in, but the added damage of taking the bullet back out again when you're not a doctor. Um and Eric blames Moira for what's happened and tries strangling her. He then talk for they then talk to him for a moment and disagree on what they want. Because it's not what Charles wants. Um He tearfully tells him that he doesn't want the same thing. And Magneto calls on the mutants to join him. Um, Raven goes to her brother, her adopted brother, and he tells her to go with him because it's what she wants. And she just does. (laughs) Fine. Sure, fine. Um, Her motivations are very weak in this film, I find. Um, And aside from turning into Shaw for a brief moment to stop one of the other don't do anything else. she doesn't do anything, at all. considering how kick ass she is in the second film that she does nothing in this film, and that's gonna maybe be a sticking point later, but we'll get to that um and then the shore crew decide to leave with Magneto. they don't have a difference in ideology as individuals no it's just bad guys go <laughs> with magneto, good guys stay with. Um, Charles and Raven goes with Magneto because later on in the first film they're together already um, not that it matters we'll get to that as well uh, and as the evil gang vanish into thin air Charles repeats that he can't feel his legs Like three times he says it go to voiceover of Kennedy he's giving the Thanksgiving address so we know it's Thanksgiving <laughs> Moira wheels Charles in his wheelchair and they talk about the government. She names them, instead of the G-men, X-men. Charles leans in and kisses Moira and simultaneously wipes her memory. At the CIA headquarters, Moira explains her memory loss before some sexism and Eric, dressed as Magneto, full-on Magneto, meets Frost in her cell and lets her out of custody. Credits. And there's no post credit scene. No.
1: That's it. I, I didn't see any. I there's
0: definitely nothing. I think maybe that the CIA headquarters release of Frost could have panned out to a sort of mid credit scene mm. instead, maybe. But it the same purpose. I think it was kind of like, uh, we've got nothing to keep people around for, so let's not put a mid-credits either. Um, so that's it. Unlike third film, which had... Like the first series, the second. Credits.
1: I know the second film is has an end credit scene.
0: What one was that?
1: We haven't seen the film. The next film. Will be...
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, no. They start yeah. adding them because Marvel starts doing things yeah. at this point. So it has in in Iron Man. We have that first proper yeah. end credit scene. Um,
1: I'm not sure how I feel about post credit scenes though.
0: I like some of them in concept. It depends. It, like I think jamming them in needlessly. Yeah,
1: because sometimes they're in there for like the sake of the spinner.
0: A... Yeah, and, although sometimes, like in Spider Man, for the the first one, it's a good little gag oh. where it's like turned on its head. Yeah. Take piss of the end, <laughs> end of yeah. scene concept. But um, yeah, no, um, like I said earlier myself. I don't really have a best scene aside from that. Sort of sub attack. I like in every film. I like every time they've used Magneto, mm. and he's done something very subtle to show how powerful he is. And and the fact that he's this younger, more angry version of him is doing stuff with the the subs chain and and sinking that yacht yeah. or the the yacht's anchor yeah. chain. Um, is really striking sort of visual in the middle of the night. This small object flying around destroying everything you yeah, know relatively small yeah. i like, know uh, in the the third film you you say he has a coming out party where he's lifting the whole yeah. the whole bridge yeah. and in this film he's lifting the yacht the, the yeah. whole um submarine out of the sea so that looks dramatically more yeah. interesting but i think that like, the subtlety is more interesting for me um, but you said you have a, a better scene A scene you prefer yourself
1: Oh personally I just prefer, I like the scene where he's like Moving his satellite When he goes into his mind And you see like but He's still got that one memory of like Hope in his mind Of Grimm like, yeah,
0: That's his Bermitzvah yeah. I think
1: like, It's still one memory He's got in there That he's like He likes that so it's, it's And
0: it, it, the fact he didn't know It was there yeah. As well
1: So it means he's still got some but I don't think he's like He's not necessarily Super bad in there is he is a bit like his
0: reason for doing everything see. is is based on what's happening yeah, yeah. to him to to find I vengeance?
1: Because I'm not saying he's a good guy, but he's not really like I won't classify. He's whether. making the
0: yeah. bad choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and like that's what people are—they're they're, mm. shades yeah. of black and white. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I I can see the emotional resonance yeah. in there. There's a great performance by both, both mm. the actors in that scene as well. If it wasn't tied up with that weird montage. <laughs> Like, bookending it, it would have more power. Um, And the weird editing that was going on. (laughs) That's just like, why only that scene? If you're going to do that unique sort of visual editing with comic panels or squares, like the the Hulk movie did.
1: It might have been a last-minute thing, because they're like, we need to get these people like...
0: Yeah, it's it's an odd choice.
1: We need to get some montage of these people trained to make it look like they were actually...
0: Like, having a montage doesn't hurt. But why the weird visual coding there? I don't know. Um, but I, I can see why like, that scene's got its strength. I don't, again, I don't really have a best character. I suppose, again, it kind of goes through a mix between Charles and Magneto. I think they're the two stars, aren't they, really? Because yeah, it is that, about their... Yeah, the, the whole story is... Yeah. They're like the two moons yeah. gravitating around the story and keeping it together. But yeah, I suppose it would... Again, go back to Eric being the character of this story. The, the linchpin yeah. for everything. Charles, he has a polar opposite sort of view on things. But he his background isn't as strong.
1: No, because no, you don't really dive into like... You don't really dive into his super motivation doing this one really like... You know he's good, but you don't want to know why. Like
0: Yeah, and you know that he just he just honestly yeah. likes... When he meets yeah. Raven for the first time, he, he just it's honestly like, so. like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'm accepting of you. And that's it. That's his motivation. Um, And he's fascinated by muta- mutation as a thing. That's why he studied it. But,
1: but she, Eric, you see the trauma for the kid. And I'm like, like yeah, somewhere... You could,
0: you, could have, you could have had lo- like, important stories happen to Charles that weren't trauma, yeah. that could still for shape shame. him. And there's nothing really there. He's a strong character yeah. on his own. But... Just doesn't have that sort of so he's not a narrative backbone in as much of a way as Eric. And seeing this sort of, I suppose it comes from the development of the original idea of a Magneto movie and seeing him as the Nazi hunter later tracking down Shaw that kind of there's so much more strength behind it.
1: I love to see how that would turn out. I mean, it's very interesting. Like,
0: I mean, we essentially it was what we got. It's just. The first half yeah. of the film is that like um but it would have been nice to see a specific focused film on that. And I think that's why um Mystique is so weak. Um I feel like a lot of them are
1: quite like Hank's really weak in his one as well. Where, like you does like a lot of count like apart from the main like the rest are just kind of like left.
0: Yeah, this they're almost like that's the problem with ensemble films generally. Yeah. You can have one very strong character and then all the rest are there. And with Mystique's case, because we know where she goes yes. ends up at least to an extent, they feel like oh, she just has to end up there, but her motivations, her reasons, like what Eric says to her maybe builds a seed yeah. of doubt or change or acceptance of herself, but she's so the change between how she hates being blue and she chooses to be you know she mocks mutant yeah. and proud, and then later on she says mutant and proud, proud as like. if she's <laughs> and it's like there's it's not enough of a change there to justify it. it's just a couple of conversations, yeah. and seeing Charles do some things that she doesn't feel as yeah. comfortable with, but that could be motivated from the fact that he sees her literally as yeah. a sister, and she's just a nude woman walking around, he has some she like does
1: see that doesn't he? that's how he sees her like is it literally yeah. the sister like
0: um and he would feel uncomfortable seeing her in another way, so. It's not nice that he doesn't see her as attractive yeah. or whatever. When she is natural, that's fair. But it's still it's still not enough strength yeah. in the scenes beforehand to truly you know, motivate that. Yeah. And that you say all the other characters are just kind of there. <laughs> you know, Beast is most strong compared to the others. Yeah. But we don't know why Alex is imprisoned in the first place. Mm. Um, Banshee's just sort of like sort of character yeah. um darwin had quite a lot of strength before they mm-hmm. killed him off and angel is like she's something there from her performance yeah. but it's, it's too brief really
1: even frost is a weird
0: frost yeah. <laughs> frost is an odd one as well i mean yeah like they, they're much more like just Comedy supervillains. Yeah. M- maybe Shaw's got some strength, but his motivations are so weird. Yeah. Like, let's nuke everyone so there could be more mutants. No, I, I feel like him, they, should,
1: they should explain a bit more why he wanted to, like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> bad guy wants to do bad thing and rule the world. And, you know, why did he end up working, yeah. working with the Nazis? You know, what makes him believe these things yeah. specifically? What, you know, what led him to think yeah. these things? the the motivation there isn't quite as strong as a villain. Um, but again, it's not really about him. No, he's, he gives a great performance. No. Kevin Bacon gives a really good performance yeah. with what he's got, but he's not got a lot to no. really fit in. Um, and don't get me started on the other two bad guys. <laughs> They're just there. Just what's that guy's name?
1: The blue, what's the red guy? Azazel. He's a, I say he's, a, he's quite a cool. He looks yeah. actually really cool though. Like yeah. as, a, as a visual, he's like on this, screen this, like this Russian,
0: <laughs> like. He's, he's Nightcrawler's dad yeah but it's never really mentioned it's like it's obvious fear yeah. the fact he looks like Nightcrawler but red
1: but he you looks know. really cool visually looking like yeah he's he looks great, like yeah, <laughs> they've,
0: worked, they've got it yeah. just right and compared to the amount of work when it's Beast yeah. and uh, Raven Mystique it's just face paint and yeah. a couple of mild prosthetics yeah. uh and a week because the guy's got yeah. quite short hair in real life um so they've, they've really toned that sort of refined that yeah. look and it looks really cool. But he's, he, he doesn't get yeah. given a lot to work with. But there could be an interesting story behind that character and there's nothing. Yeah. And the sad thing, I don't know, You have, what films have you seen after this? You've seen...
1: I've seen... So the ones I haven't seen, I've not seen Dark Phoenix, I've not seen Apocalypse, and I've not seen New Mutant.
0: And Deadpool, but they don't really Deadpool, care. yeah. Um, well, let's get into it, because the cast leaving, uh, Matthew Vaughan uh, won't be directing again, I don't think. I could be mistaken here, but as far as I remember, he's not directing any of the others, um, which may say a lot. <laughs> uh, he goes on to direct the entirety of the Kingsman Series. No, I still go so, strong. Secret Service, uh Golden Circle, which is the week of the two. And the King's Man, he also worked on.
1: Is he working on new ones, one do you know? Uh The King's Man.
0: Yeah the King's Man. Yeah. Twenty twenty one, that's this year. Um so he's busy with that so he's <laughs> certainly as far as I know not done any others. Uh Zoe Kravitz leaves here, so Angel isn't seen again. Oh. They're not in the next film.
1: I don't really remember. I've watched the next film. But... It's
0: mostly X-Men characters yeah. in the future and Mystique and Charles. Mm. Uh, you see a couple of the uh, X-Men X-Men from the past, yeah. but you don't see the villain. because yeah. uh, Spoilers, everyone, for the film mm. after the next film we're going to watch. In Days of Future Past, they're setting um, Eric out of prison. So he's by himself.
1: By the way, my favourite X-Men film, Days of Future Past. Yeah,
0: well, well, we're going to watch two versions of it, so you best like it. I love it. <laughs> um, So Zoe Kravitz leaves. Uh, after leaving, Kravitz rose to prominence playing Christina in the Divergence series in 2014 to 2016. That's like three films.
1: I've seen two of them. Oh. <laughs> Are you I... any good? <laughs> They're okay. like they're well, like uh, less than Hunger Games. Like if you like Hunger Games, you might like them, but the they're not. Young they're adults they're not they're books. not as high quality. As Hunger Games, in my in my okay. opinion.
0: Um, I haven't seen them at all, uh, but you know, I heard they were popular enough to carry it. Obviously, she's had a recurring role. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Lita the Strange in Fantastic Beasts and film series. I've seen Fantastic I've seen the first one. Uh, 2016 to 2018. I don't think she's in the first one, but she might be in the second and oh. planned into the third, maybe. Uh, And appeared as Toast the Knowing in Mad Max Fury Road. What a film that is. What a, yeah, what a sequel to go, what a film to go into <laughs> after this. Like, you know, you've made a choice. You've made a good mm. choice there. Um, And voiced Catwoman in the Lego Batman movie. Good film as <laughs> well. Yeah. <laughs> she's also played Mary Jane Watson in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, film. Yeah, you've come oh spider,
1: oh, spider No, I think, I think of the... Um, Into the Spider-Verse. I yeah. think of Far Away From Home. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a no. film. Spider-Verse, um, is an amazing film.
0: Yeah. Uh, she also starred in in numerous independent films, including Dope in 2015, and Green's Aladdin in 2016, Oof. and she's in Gemini in 2017. She and praise for the lead roles in HBO's drama series, Little Big Lies, 2017 to 2019, which Andrea earned her a Screen Actors Guild Award nomination, and she's in the Hulu romantic comedy series, High Fidelity, in 2020, as the lead <laughs> actress. So she's done well for herself. I'm a fan of her work. Um, Kravitz will also star as Selena Kyle, forward slash Catwoman, in Matt Reeves' DC film, The Batman, in 2022. No. No, you can see it you can see it um, especially interesting because you know she's not obviously not the first black woman to play Catwoman mm.
1: oh the so, first one um, let's not talk about that Catwoman no
0: she's not the first black woman to play Catwoman either is she not the cat. Uh, the TV series Earth the Kit oh probably one of the best ones
1: say <laughs> the second one was <laughs>
0: Look, there's a lot to be desired for <laughs> um, in addition to acting kravitz works as a fashion model and musician as of 2017 she is the face of ysl Butet. i hope i got that right she has also mm-hmm. starred in campaigns for tiffany co vera wang bianca uh, uh alexander wang coach new york to me calvin klein so on and so forth mm-hmm. she for- fronts the band la la wolf and released the album "Calm Down" in 2014 and "Tenderness" in 2020.
1: Well, she's been a she's a, she's been all over it. Like
0: she's got famous father, right? So she's got connections. Oh, so you know, and she will have the talent.
1: But I mean, it's good that you do. She's done loads, so, so many different stuff like
0: mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon,
1: EE adverts. Uh, as
0: as he's being EE adverts, he's also been in Black Mass in 2015 patriots in 2016 and is equally prolific in television as we said before so he's been in the fox drama series the following 2013 to 2015 um january jones has continued her role as betty draper in mad men 2007
1: to 2015 never seen her i've heard this okay but
0: for long running (laughs) 11 12 years right uh No, uh, sorry, eight years. I'm counting, so, counting up instead of that. Now. Whole puts me off watching it too long. Um, for which she was nominated for two Golden Globe Awards for Best Actress in a Television Series Drama and Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series. She also portrayed M- Melissa uh, Chartres uh, in The Last Man on Earth from 2015 to 2018. That's everybody who's leaving. Oh. So we've got a big crew still coming over for the next, next, next film. Because we have a small um, pit stop to make on our next film, which is... Now, uh, you seem to really dislike this film, and we haven't even sat down and watched it yet. It's Wolverine, isn't it? it, The Wolverine, yes. But we've watched X-Men Origins Wolverine, and it can't be worse than that. It's not much better. If it's
1: any better. Could, it's, you sound like you're not sure. I remember, I just remember the last scene in my head and it's horrible. I <laughs> almost got PTSD with that last scene in it. It's like...
0: Okay. Oh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so... <laughs> no spoiler, I'm not going to get oh, Yeah, I'm going to look forward to seeing that last scene. I'll probably sit down to watch it later. Today. But um So if you want to take part in the show, we are watching hmm. The Wolverine. The Second solo Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. Is this, is this,
1: how many how more is it? Wolverine one is it? This is it. Then it's Logan, is it, after it? Yeah, this In is a, the
0: last officially part of the canon film before things start going off the deep end. Yeah. Um, oh, reading up about it, even after Days of Future Past, Logan is not considered the same universe at any point. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. It's like it is and is isn't. It's like using the X Men 1 as the starting point, but it's its own standalone universe. So think about there's a future past being like a frozen river and Mm. you're dropping a stone on it. Every shard goes a different direction. Um, So we will try and note note where the different directions go, Um, but we won't talk about that too much now. And the work I'm going to have to do for Days of Future Past is mind-blowing. Two cuts as well? Do we do two episodes to represent the two different films, two different cuts? I
1: and guess you can do... Record
0: them over two days like next to each other.
1: Or you can, or it's got the same act is that.
0: Sort of, yes.
1: So I guess you can just do the... I guess you could do two episodes. Because
0: who knows how different the scenes really are. Can I? Should I do an extra big episode and just layer on the scenes as they happen? I think big episode. On? I think. Or two. It's it's going to be interesting, but we're not there, we're not there I'm yet. I'm going to start planning it. But the next film, as I say, is the Wolverine. Yeah. So, um, feel free to head off and watch that with us.
1: I think I think I was on Disney Plus. You are. Know, I think.
0: I think so. I've got it on Blu-ray. If you can't find a copy to watch, I'll I'll hit you up with it. Um, it cost me £2, so I'm not complaining. Um, for Logan, I might actually buy it. the 4K one
1: for Logan. Yes, i want been, one been looking at the 4K and, one. One. I'm going to watch it in black and white.
0: Well, you're going to have to make note of that, because who knows how different that makes it. Oh, I guess. You never know. There might be some slight like, different cuts as well. I've
1: yeah. seen it. I saw that film twice in cinema, Logan.
0: Yeah, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen it yet. So
1: You um, informed my surprise
0: oh I don't know it could be you saying that won't be a surprise will it But oh, I guess not as people say that and then it becomes something that isn't as nice as you're made to believe you're expecting nicer aren't you? um, so if you have any thoughts or if you enjoyed the episode or anything you want to say if you've got memories of this film or you want to talk about the next film coming up ahead of the recording of the next episode um, timeline pod or one word at gmail.com with any comments Feel free to look us up on all the networks. It's mm-hmm. there somewhere. Um, I'll put the links in the show notes. You'll also find this on YouTube at um channel. And uh, yes, feel free to send us your messages. Mm. Till next time, this has been a groovy step back to 1962. My heart's gone nuclear for this fun ride. This fun <laughs> Uh I did not see this coming. Did you did not see this coming. <laughs> uh no, quick, where, does it rank,
1: where does it rank does it rank on all the ones you've seen so far? Like you gotta put a number on it, like where would you put it? It's
0: difficult. I don't know. Um I, X2 is clearly the best film mm. up to this point. I think coherent wise. I d I don't know I think they're kind of neck and neck. Yeah. There are bits about it that I just it's 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 more that this film is competently put together mm. in such a way that it's non offensive. But it doesn't it doesn't really go oh, anyway, so. <laughs> excite me. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's cool that it's more coherent than all the others, I think. And there are really good qualities going on, like the effects and the fact they've said it mm. during the Cuban Missile Crisis has thought about mm. a lot of it. The opening is really strong, mm. but I think it wavers at the end. Mm. And outside of the two main characters, I think many of the other characters are quite weak. Mm. So it's like the high points are quite good. probably better than a lot of the other films. Maybe all of them. But the low points are kind of mm. like, meh. Mm. Um, so I think maybe just Nick and neck with mm. X2. Mm. I think we'll have to talk about this when mm. we get to them. Mm final oh. film in the series <laughs> um, and I think we know where the lowest, I think that's the, the more interesting part is, what's the worst film we've seen so far?
1: Oh, it's that, What's that TV pilot? <laughs>
0: yeah. Generation. yeah, Generation X uh, If we didn't count up Generation X, it'd be X-Men Origins
1: Yes, 100% we'll
0: um, But yeah, Generation X is the worst thing we've <laughs> watched so far. I encourage people to go back to that episode and listen to it because not many people have <laughs> That's the thing that really surprised me. People are really interested in things they have already know they like. But really, you should listen to about stuff you don't know. Things that are crappy or bad or you've never heard of before because they're more interesting to hear what people talk about, aren't they? I feel, I
1: feel like people just like hearing something... You know.
0: I want you to confirm my bias <laughs> exactly, for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yes, uh, I'm I'm sure Wolverine, the Wolverine, like you keep saying this, it's, it's bad and you keep saying... Des' future past is really good, but when I get or, or Logan's really good, but when I get to them, I bet you it's not as bad as you make out, and it's not as good as mm. you make out either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So we'll see what it's like. But um, yes, that's well. That's best we best sign off. This is mm. an awkward sign off. So uh, thank you for listening to the mm. timeline. I've been Robin Smith.
1: I've been Lewis Bond. Until next time, peace out. <laughs> <laughs> we need to find a good closing line.
0: That's it. That was was fine. That'll do for them.
1: Peace out. We need to find something to do with time, don't we, I think? Yeah. Like, something that integrates time, like...
0: Uh, It's just such an awkward name for a show. (laughs) Uh, Until next time, the sands will continue (laughs) falling. (laughs) Don't set your alarm Uh, We'll be back. Cress I love the game of Cress it <laughs> uh, has no nutritional value right? no. I'm sure I didn't get caught. And where are we?